Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Carl Nelson Show. And good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your day with us again. Later, Grio, Baba Lumumba from Emoja House in Washington, D.C. will be back in our classroom. Baba Lumumba always, always has some thought-provoking topics to discuss, and this time around, Baba Lumumba will examine the issue of race versus class in the liberation struggle. But to get us started, banking and financial expert Donald Parker is here. Donnell, good morning. Happy New Year. Good morning, Carl. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of your audience as well. All right, Darnell, what's it look like for 2024? Seems like the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Is, is, is that what you see happening through your crystal ball? Yes, Carl. Um, before I start, I would like to say these comments are not part of the private corporation, Federal Reserve, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the United States Department of Treasury, or the Office of Comptroller of the Currency. These comments and projection analysis are my own comments and statements. Um, yes, for, since the 1980s, Reagan economics came into the United States of America. Um, the private corporation, Federal Reserve, Congress have supported corporations over the people. So since the 1980s, we've seen policy, we've seen um, capital infusion to major corporations um, that supersede um, what the American citizens, American people have um, received in return. So in general, since the 1980s, the rich is getting richer and the poor is getting poorer and the poverty rate is, um, I would say, increasing, but it's stable um, because they're changing the poverty rate by the um, the income levels um, drastically to make sure the poverty levels stay um, a certain percentage, not over 20 percent. Like, for example, the poverty rate for African-Americans are 17.1 but the national poverty rate is 11%. And for white Americans, the poverty rate is 8%. Hispanics, I believe, is around 15%. But overwhelmingly, um, African-Americans um, has the second largest um, poverty rate in America outside of Native Americans. All right. Uh, Darnell, talk to us about the 1980s when Reagan was in, in office. Reaganomics. Explain what that that theory, that economic theory that Ronald Reagan had, and why it's still affecting us today. Well, um, in the 1980s, America was going through turmoil. We had a crack um, um, dilemma in the African American community where private corporations um, were bringing drugs in, um, using government resources. Um, to facilitate to bring down um, not just you know African American communities but also the Hispanics and um, lower um, tier communities so that we can't focus on um, what was really going on outside of, you know coming out of the Vietnam War. But 1980s pretty much what Reagan and um, a lot of corporations decided to do to have Reagan be the puppet and say Reagan economics number one was that if we give all the money to the rich 
we create jobs and we will provide jobs for the uh, American citizens. And we have seen over 40 years that is not true. The, the rich, what they have been doing is taking the money and pocketing the money and buying up smaller business, you know, and getting bigger and bigger. And to a, to a certain point, you see in some industries, um, especially in media, there's only three major media companies that own um, probably a large portion of the media. And there's also, when you look at the banking industry, there's 11 major banks that control majority of the banking industry. So the big banks, the big corporations um, are getting bigger and bigger while um, the American citizens are struggling financially with 65, 63 to 65% of people don't have $400 for emergency. So the money is going to the corporation and not to American people. And these same people that run these corporations are forcing the cost of goods sold, um, their cost of goods to increase on purpose so they can receive more profits through their stock, through their stock and then their net individual net worth through their uh, pre-purchasing program on the stock that they own individually because they are in the management. Yeah, you know, and, and the, I, I guess the thought behind it, uh, Donnell, was that these business owners, these multimillionaires would create jobs for the, for the second tier folks. And this is globally as well. They would build more businesses or, or hire more people. Why did, it, why did it fail? Why didn't it work? Was it because these guys kept the money for themselves with all the tax breaks? How do you see why it failed? Well, my analysis is failed because that was the political spin of it. The political spin was to um, have the American people buy in so they won't talk to their congressman or senator to force them to vote a different way. And we don't pay attention to policy. We're always going to be the food at the table. But American citizens was watching, you know, in the National Football League, NBA, reality shows, or just TV in general. At the time, it was probably the Cosby show. But we really wasn't paying attention to what Congress were doing and what they were voting on. Is Voting is bigger than voting for an individual candidate. Um, the, the most important thing of, of voting is what did that candidate vote on, yay or nay, or or um or what, what was the item um, they were voting on. So I think we need to go back and see in the past 40 years what really happened and what really happened. The American um, consumer is not paying attention to the policy that is going through Congress right now. And having said that, Donald Trump is embracing the same strategy. You know, he, he gave a lot of tax cuts to the rich with the same theory that they, they would build more businesses, create more businesses and hire more people and grow the economy. And we see it coming around again, but most people are still, well, many people are, are behind Donald Trump. How do you see, you know, they already know what, they saw what happened with Reaganomics. And now Trumponomics, if you will, is, is, is you know, saying, this, well, they did it the last time he was in the White House and he said he's going to do it again. But he's still got a huge following. What's going on here with, with folks? Hey, Carl, I don't know why everyone's follow um, him, but I would say this. Um, from that strategy is pretty much wiping out small business and smaller entrepreneurs. Um, by these big corporations getting bigger and bigger, they can easily force out through competition. Doesn't matter if, like, for example, if I buy something from Amazon, Amazon pretty much can give me free shipping if I pay over a certain price. If I'm a small business, even though that Amazon and I sell the same thing for $50, I would have to have the consumer pay for shipping because my margins are thinner than Amazon. Amazon can force the third party um, cheaper 
price to, to even sell on Amazon, which that difference can be free shipping. They can charge the um, consumer free shipping, and that can put another small business out of business. So things like that um, will have a major effect in the future. If, if, if there's a lot of small business right now struggling because of the high interest rates, but if they're trying to sell a consumer product and they're competing with Amazon, sooner or later, um, they're just pretty much just pushing the can down the road. Um, they, they have a high probability of failing in the next five to 10 years. Wow. Eight after the top there, I guess, is financial and banking expert Donnell Parker. Donnell, I just saw a report that said the top 1% holds 43% of the, of the world's the world's financial assets. That's the top 1% of wealthy people. And the wealth, the wealthy of the, of the five richest men in the world is more than doubled, has more than doubled since 2020. Uh, can you explain those facts for us? Is, does that underscore what we're talking about? Yes, Carl. That's, that's, that's where you go. Um, the money that was printed by the private corporation Federal Reserve um, and through Congress, they were also um, to provide capital fusion to certain companies and certain in- individuals to, again, um, do the, it doesn't matter if it's the Inflation Reduction Act or any credit facility that the Federal Reserve created, they actually giving money to um, certain large businesses um, to make sure that they create jobs, sustain jobs, and keep the economy going. Again, that's part of Reagan economics, but I can give these seven individuals or seven companies, and a few companies outside of that, money for capital fusion. Can they provide jobs to the local communities and nationwide to keep the United States economy growing? But as we've seen that these companies have been using technology and resources to make their companies better, but also what people are not talking about, they're taking that money and buying a smaller business to merge into their institution, making them grow faster. So with that said, Carl, yes, the Magnificent Seven, there are seven major stocks that um, had got a boost, um, like Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Microsoft, which is Meta, and NVIDIA. Um, these seven major corporations got pretty much free money from the, from the private corporation, Federal Reserve, to ensure that the economy stay, stay afloat. You know, uh, 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 Darnell, one of the things that Dr. Claude Anson has been teaching us that, you know, it's just basic economics, that if somebody's got to be rich, that means somebody's got to be poor. You know, there's only one pie. And if somebody wants all of it or 90% of it, you're going to be less with 10%. But that message has not, has sort of fallen on deaf ears. Our people, I don't see our people being excited, being concerned about the, the, the disparity. How do you see it? They're not concerned, Carl. The main reason that... Uh, one of my, uh, one of our ancestors, Dick Gregory, always talked about is Carl. When you live in these major cities, um, by me growing up in the Detroit metro area, you start seeing the pollution in the air. The automobile factories they left a lot of the um, pollution, the, the toxins um, in the water. The water supply is dirty. So how can you think clearly if the air is dirty and the water is dirty? So when you look at these major cities, doesn't matter if it's Cleveland, Gary, Indiana, Toledo, Chicago, Dayton, um, Philadelphia, if you test that water in those areas, um, you'll see that the water is dirty. So a lot of people don't care because they're not thinking correctly um, because of the, the toxins in, in the major African-American cities. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned that because they're in, not only in the cities where we, uh, we predominate. 
so what's what's is are our elected officials asleep at the wheel or are they looking at the wrong things are they mesmerized uh, once they get in the job and st- start fixing that you know at least uh, economic and make sure that we're healthy or there are there sites somewhere else how do you see it i think there's too many fights uh, when you get elected to congress um, there's too many things going on in america uh, America diversity is our strength, but also is our weakness. When you look at everyone, um, everyone is trying to fight for what's best for them. Doesn't matter if you're African American, Hispanic, um, if you're a white male, or white woman. Everyone have their own agenda, but only a few things can get passed in Congress. And we have to remember our ancestor uh, Mona. Um, I think Mona Harris. She um, talked about the EPA came out and said. 80% or 90% of the water is dirty back in the 1990s, but we never um, stay focused on that. And when you're drinking dirty water or you're drinking plastics, um, bottles, um, there's a report that came out, I believe last week, that even stated that um, there's over a thousand um, plastic particles in a typical bottle of water that we drink consuming that have an effect on our endocrine system and which have an effect on our brain. Yeah, I saw that report as well. 13 after the top. We'll come up on a break. But when we come back, Darnell, how can we close the wealth gap? What are are some of the things that we can do individually and collectively as a group? We're talking to our black community this morning. How can we close that wealth gap? Because, you know, first, some people don't understand there is a wealth gap. They just don't understand how some people are richer than us or, you know, why why we are subservient to other folks. Why they have more money than us? It's not they're smarter than us. You know, we've been to all these great schools, got great scholars and educators. So if you can help us out how we can close the wealth gap, we would really appreciate it. As I mentioned, we've got to step aside and take our first break here at 14 after the top. We're back in four minutes, though. If you want to join this conversation with Darnell, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll be back right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, I guess this is banking and financial expert, Darnell Parker. And we're talking about money, we're talking about racial disparities and how to close the wealth gap. You, you know, Darnell, the Mooney twins, uh, they, they're doing it one black person at a time. But is there a way we can move the needle faster more and generate more, some, wake up more of our folks to understand how we can, you know, and it's not about individual people trying to get wealthy, but just try to lift us off the, the bottom rung of, the, of, the, of this, the, this financial ladder, if you will. Yes, yes, Carl. There's different strategies. Um, I think one of our disadvantages in America is that we are displaced throughout, you know, um, over, you know, probably pretty much the 50 states in America. And we were able to concentrate in five states, um, do business with each other, and all the five states connected to each other, similar to um, the Nation of Islam or Elijah Muhammad or Queen Mother Moore has stated in the past, if you focus on certain states and you do intercommerce with, you know, growing food, business, um, it's easier for us to um, look at our communities and compare it to uh, the Asian community or the Jewish community and say, hey, we do business with each other. That would bring our income higher. Um, that would bring our unemployment lower. lower. And also, I think it would bring a higher morale uh, from our neighborhoods to make our neighborhood communities. So there's a, um, a lot of things we can do um, outside of that. Without that, I think the key thing is we have to recognize we are always underemployed. 
And I think one of the things that we have to um, look at the pay disparity and say, to recognize, look in the mirror and say, hey, I am beautiful. Um, I need um, someone else. In today's environment, you need two incomes or you need three incomes. Even if somebody is making 150, they need someone else. Um, doesn't matter what city you're in, you might not recognize it, but um, the dollar is debasing because the cost of goods is going up, the cost of material, the cost of gas, the cost of energy. Um, we have to recognize um, that we need to find someone to um, to either consolidate our incomes into households or even look at marriage as a way to survive for the future. And um, we've been programmed since the 1990s, a living single is the way to live, but the corporations program us that way so that individually you would never grow wealth or it's more difficult to grow wealth individually than together with two incomes. Yeah, so well, let me show. ask you I this, though. Yeah, uh, 23 at the top, yeah. But what can, do you think our, our people care enough, Darnell? I mean, other groups, we've seen guys, the, the groups collectively just got here last week, so to speak, and they, they've already leapfrogged us economically. What is our problem? Why? why, why I, I, that's my question. What, what, why? 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 What's holding us back from building our own businesses and doing business with each other? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, I think one of the things systematic, we, America, every, everyone had to recognize slavery. Um, we still carry PTSD from slavery. We were brainwashed not to get along with each other. We were brainwashed that... Um, how we look, how we, you know, even our names, you know, we can be stereotyped off of a resume. So we have to find ways to um, get along with each other, but we cannot get there without reparations. And the key thing for me in reparation is um, the older I get, I'm starting to see little things that people still dealing with issues from their childhood, and we need therapy. Um, a lot of people don't recognize that majority of us do need therapy in some form and fashion. Until we get that therapy and understand our history, uh, how we look, and how we should deal with each other. Um, even when I communicate with Carl, with someone, I, I take a step back and say, what had this person been through? What had this drama this person been through? Even though they make an ignorant comment, I don't chastise them or I don't um, go after them um, because I, I have to understand that they don't have the same knowledge I have or they might have been um, going through therapy or been through a drama situation. So until we recognize each, all of us have a situation or behavior issues or some kind of therapy we need to go through, it doesn't matter if it's retail therapy, um, we, we have to realize that we all have some kind of um, childhood issues or symptoms that we have to deal with. And yeah, I think but, that's one of the blockage is, is the therapy and the reparation. Yeah, uh, we need therapy, that's for sure. Dr. Wilson talks about that. We all we just need to collectively just 
take a pause and, and really reflect on what we've been through. And, and you know, but you know, the bottom line is though, uh, John, we're still a great people. We're still surviving. But we can do just so much better if we work together. And, and we, it comes back to unity, that we don't know who we are. That's why we're fighting each other. We won't support a black business. And we talked about this prior. You know, another person and another persuasion will come and start a business next door. And we'll all flock to that business and ignore the brother or the sister who's got the black business who was there before. So I guess it's not a financial question for you because as a banker and a financial expert, how do we change that mindset? That's where I'm at. Well, only way to change that mindset is the therapy and the history. Um, we have to, when I went to Martin Luther King Elementary School, um, I was taught black is beautiful, black is bold, black is, you know, there was a black and white book we read. Um, there was different things I was taught going to that school. I was taught about Marcus Garvey, uh, Martin Luther King, um, other black leaders outside of just the Black History Month, it was taught throughout the year. So if you don't see anything that's positive about blacks or black history, then you are what you see and what, what are you here. So if you, if you don't uh, produce that early on, then you won't be able to comprehend or understand our struggles in America. And even to a fact that so many black professionals um, are scared to even talk about this or even listen to the Carl Nelson show or even come on a Carl Nelson show because they are scared to be scrutinized uh, because they're scared to lose their wealth or their position um, to be aligned with the conscious community. Yeah, I've had some of those, by the way. But my question is other immigrants, even black immigrants, will come here and surpass us. What is it they're doing that we're not doing? Well, the black immigrants, number one, they don't see the racism. They get here and they will say that the racism here is less than where they're from. I was in an Uber um, one day and I met a, a young man. And he's, he said he's French, but he's African, 100% African. He just he was born or raised in um, France. And he said that, well, I'm French, but the French um, there would tell him, no, you're African. You're not French. You're not you know, European. You're not a French. And he said that at least in America, we have laws to protect us. He said that they don't have laws to protect them in, in France. So everyone look at it different. But when you get here, yeah, they have programs for minorities. They have, you know, grants and all this stuff for minorities. But when it comes to contracts, you know, even though we have the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which Byron Allen tried to say that you can't discriminate against you know, African descent people who came from slavery, um, we're still being discriminated against major um, contracts. In fact, um, as a former member of the National Association of Black Accountants, um, there is now one accounting firm that monitors the Fortune 500 um, companies. And that is the number one discriminated um, industry is accounting that none of the accounting firms, African-American accounting firms, ever oversaw any of the Fortune 500 companies. So we still have the most um, discriminating um, laws. It's just, um, in America, it's just not enforced. Um, when you look at other industries, like, like for example, when you look at the medical industry or information technology, there are a lot of people from India that come here um, without you know, the history of slavery. They come here and just go to school and they just outperform because they're coming here for a purpose. 
if we um, grow up and not look at football and basketball as, as the way to get out the neighborhoods, we use STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. We can do the same thing, but there have to be someone in our communities teaching that, preaching that. But when you turn on TV, uh, there are certain systems in America that have African-American men focused on football and basketball entertainment and women focusing on um, things that's not relevant, important. Um, and I think that's one of the major issues as well. Yeah, I just got a tweet from one of our listeners. Uh, Donnell says, I don't know where he's, he is, but he says down here, most of these are non-English speaking people already have jobs lined up when they get here. They look out for each other. They they stay on code. What? Why is it so difficult for us to do that? If, if you know, if you're a black entrepreneur or you're a black business person, employ your own. Why? Other folks do it, but some some uh, folks in our you know neck of the woods who have black businesses, they feel they got to hire everybody else except us. <laughs> and, and then and the cycle continues because then they get they, they, we pay them and they, and then their children they can educate their children and get better education better schools and come back and get the better jobs and the cycle continues and we're still at the bottom of the barrel. How are we going to wake our people up? That's I guess that's my question because you know you look at the racial disparities that we're talking about. We know there's racism redlining and, and when it comes to getting loans and, and stuff like that. We know we know all the hurdles that are out there, but we can do it. You know, we can do it. We, we're special people because some of the folks who are doing the red line, they look like us. So my question is, though, how do, how do we what's some of the moves, financial moves that you can share with us this morning that we can close that financial wealth gap? Well, let me address something you stated. You said some of the people that are doing redlining are some people like us. Well, again, um, these people that are professional, they are in these positions with no power. They would take a position and make six figures, and they would be the um, puppet for these major Fortune 500 companies, banks, or um, community um, or private lenders, and they would say they're doing Community Reinvestment Act. But the Community Reinvestment Act actually can be a form of redlining. Like, for example, if they tell an African-American they can only buy homes in certain zip codes, but when you look at that zip code, is predominantly African-American zip code, then that is, to me, an indirect form of redlining. Um, an African-American or Hispanic should be able to buy a home. No, it doesn't matter what zip code, it should be off a of base of income and your debt-to-income ratio um, where you qualify for home. It shouldn't be forced a certain zip code. So when you have a program for home owners uh, <laughs> telling them what zip code they can live in, that's a that's a form of redlining to me personally, um, because you're forcing them to stay in a predominantly black community and not go outside their own community. Now, what's the second question, Carl? I apologize. It, you know, I forgot it as well because I was I was just thinking. My, I'm I'm just rapidly thinking ahead with what you were saying. I'm vibing on what you're saying, but that's what's on the micro level. On the macro level, if you look at it, we've got the the World Bank and the IMF. What they do to the African nations. It's 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 what's going on here. So we, we come from a break, so maybe you can talk about that because uh, we we always hear that Africa is the richest continent. We we got all these minerals, we got all all these raw materials that are in the ground, but yet still we don't have the process. So our brothers on the continent don't have the process to to manufacture them to get them out of the ground and make the the end product. Because then we, they they these uh, multinationals come in and do that. Then they come back and sell the, the products, whether it be uh, iPhones or or cars or whatever, or, or even just the diamonds and the minerals. 
and sell them back to the Africans so that they're trapped in that cycle too. But I'm just wondering, is is there a way to break out? Why hasn't, you know, because they are in, just like here, they have got some individual wealthy Africans. In fact, the, the richest black uh, people on the planet uh, come from the other continent. But yet still the rest of the continent, most of, not even say most, but several uh, people on the continent st- are still living below the poverty level. So how, how can we move the needle you know, internationally and locally. That's what we've been discussing all morning. That's what I'm trying to figure out. You as, as a banking and financial expert, what can we do individually? We're sitting now listening to the radio. What can we do as, a, as an individual to do that, help us move that needle? So we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll let you address that. Family, you want to join this conversation with our guest? He's a financial and banking expert. We're starting off the year with Donald Parker. Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 or AM 1550, 1450. Pardon me, WOL, where is power. And again, family, 22 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, financial expert, Donnell Parker. He's also a banking expert as well. Before we go back to him, though, let me just, just remind you that if you're in the DMV, if you're in Virginia or Baltimore or in Maryland as well, all schools and federal offices are closed today because of the weather. Snowstorm is still snowing out there this morning. You just remember those days when it's a snow days. You know, you look forward. Everybody knows the snow days. There's no school. But anyway, on the serious tip, though, really, if you have to go out there, please drive carefully. So uh, that's all the schools are closed today. And, and uh, Kevin, see if you see if you get, you get uh, Donnell back. I think his line dropped. But coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Baba Lumumba from Emoja House in Washington, D.C. You know, you know, Baba Lumumba always has these thought-provoking topics for us to discuss. And this morning is going to talk about the issue of race versus class. That's going to be interesting in the liberation struggle, the issue of race versus class. And later this week, you're going to hear from economist Dr. Julian Malvo, also Detroit activist Sister Shoshana Shakur will be with us, and chemitologist Tony Browder will also join us. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, uh, Let's go back to let's go back to Donnell. Donnell, good morning once again. I think we're still trying to get Donnell. I think his line dropped out there. As I mentioned, all federal offices are closed in the district. All public schools and in Maryland, Virginia, and also in the district, are all closed today because of the snow out there. And if you have to travel out there this morning, family, you probably already know it already. The roads are horrible especially when you get into the suburbs. You know, they take a minute to get to clean, clean those streets. So just please drive carefully out there because it's, it's, it's going to get slippery pretty soon. So anyway, hopefully we'll get Donnell. All right, we got Donnell back. Donnell. Hi, Carl. Yes, hi. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, now my question is, what can we, what, as, a, as a people, what can we do? Individually, are listening to us now because uh, a lot of folks, as I mentioned, where you, when your line dropped, that you know the uh, it's snow day, you know, in Virginia, Maryland, D.C., the D.M.V., Baltimore. All the schools are closed. All the federal offices are closed. So folks are out on the streets. So hopefully they're home listening to us and staying warm. Uh, what can we do to move this needle? Okay, so the key question, Carl, um, you, or statement you said, move the needle. Um, Due to African-Americans or Africans internationally do not control the central banks or the international monetary system, um, it's very difficult to move the needle. Um, the military is a form that can be used to, to move the needle, 
but I have to recognize um, people who came before me. Um, geopolitical analyst, one of your former guests, Craig Hewlett, um, talked about uh, how important the military is. Um, Noam Chomsky and um, hi historian Anthony Broder also talk about the military as well. So you can't really move the needle or shape, you know, America or international without the uh, military. So it's designed that yeah. we got to stay on the bottom, or, or, you know, the black people, whether it be globally or locally, are, are designed to stay on the bottom of the economic ladder. Is, is that what you're telling us? Black. Yes, black people, Hispanics, um, anyone who's not part of the 1%, um, there is a global agenda um, that has been going on, um, as we've seen in the book by John Coleman, Committee 300, and other people have um, exposed this back in the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, that's a great book, folks. You get a chance to pick it up. John Coleman, Committee of 300, Conspiracy's Hierarchy, tells you what's really going on. And you just use the, you know, use read it with an open mind and you can understand that's the book that Dick Gregory says he never leaves home without it. Having said that, though, there's, there's the World Economic Forum is taking place now in Davos. Can you tell us, for that folks who are following the news and following this, because this is an important move taking place here, can you explain what's going on at that meeting? Yes, uh, the World Economic Forum is um, one of the organizations that John Coleman Committee 300 actually had mentioned. Um, he mentioned um, a lot of the uh, organizations um, that a lot of people might know today, but when he mentioned it, no one knew about these organizations like the Council of Foreign Relations, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, um, the G7, um, and something similar. It was the G20 and the World Economic Forum, these individual groups um, set the agenda uh, for international, where certain 1% can come to. Um, this meeting is invitation only. So when people are invited to um, the Davos um, meeting, they actually um, are invited. Um, you can pay to get into it if you're invited, uh, but it's very um, cost-intensive. And a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people attend. It's mostly um, business people or um, government officials, but not like the G7, G20, the head um, government officials show up. These are people like one layer or two layers below them um, talk about their nation state, what's important, the climate, um, jobs, pollution, um, technology. Um, but it's, it's also a way that they can keep the – um, conversation going outside of the G7 and G20. Now, the, the question, of course, is anybody looking like us at that meeting that's on the way right now as we speak? Yes, I know a few people that's going actually to the meeting. Um, they're presenting, but they're presenting on the state of Africa. Um, Erica um, Butler, former D.C. resident, she have a consulting group. Um, she's trying to make sure that the African nations are representative, but also not uh, taken advantage of. But we have to find ways to show that uh, we have the resources, we have the knowledge, we have, but we're not going to go blindly and let people just take the resources without, you know, proper um, and or equitable payment and um, treating the people in Africa fairly by providing them jobs and opportunities in Africa as well. Now, at that meeting, is there anybody who's speaking on behalf of, of black people in America? And you mentioned that we're speaking about black folks on the continent, but what about black people here? Do, do we have a seat at that table? 
Um, I haven't looked at that directly. Um, the only reason that I found out Erica was presenting um, is because of she publicized to try to get people involved. Um, because this Davos conference is actually going to be um, not really televised, but televised on the Internet. You can watch the conference. And, like, a lot of people ask me, how do you know what's going on? Um, turn off the TV, start watching professional sports. You have to really watch where the world is going globally. Um, instead of just listening to someone, you can actually hear it come out their own mouths. Um, they are very direct to talk about pollution, um, blockchain technology, um, artificial intelligent robots. As a matter of fact, um, there is a robot now that can, when you watch the movie iRobot, um, they are showing they can fold clothes, um, um, do inventory, and also um, uh, fix a tire. So <laughs> people have to realize the robots are here. You don't see them um, um, out in general public, but they're already here working in these factories or um, buildings that look like they're undisclosed buildings, but they're out here working. And, and as usual, the first ones are going to be impacted by all this this new technology is going to be us because they're going to, the jobs they're going to replace the, our folks who did those jobs and the, you know the sad part about it Darnell they're probably not listening to us now <laughs> you know those folks who have those kind of jobs they, they, this is not their concern they, they, they're not looking down the road but the other people are always planning their 20 30 years decades ahead as in the book mentioned by a committee of 300 they're, they're planning way ahead even if they don't see the fruits their children will see the fruits unfortunately many of our folks and not on that and not on that lane how do we move them though to to want to get them to understand that this is something they should be concerned with well i think part of it carl is that they have to think about what they want to do when they're in junior high they have to think about what they want to do for a living and they have to think about if they want to go to high school get a trade or go to college or even go to the armed uh, forces that what what how much money they're going to make in the future what are their opportunities it's more to a community or neighborhood than what you see in the hip-hop music of um, certain people portraying that drugs, selling drugs is the way to live and going buying Chanel bags and cars is the way of life. Um, we need more people to talk about buying real estate um, investments, um, going to school for um, becoming a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer so that we can protect our own people uh, when it comes to doesn't matter the legal service or medical. Um, so I think we need to um, have more people talk about that in their junior, junior high years to their freshman year of high school so they can have a program or a plan in four to five years to um, succeed once they graduate from high school. All right, 12 away from the top. You're in the business. You're in the banking and financial business. Are you seeing more and more brothers and sisters join your club? I mean, we always have African-Americans um, in the bank industry, in the county finance industry, but the problem is um, from the C-level, you don't see them hiring a lot of African-Americans on the C-suite and management. Um, I think one of the problems is that America always still going to always have a diversity issue when it comes to African-Americans. It doesn't matter if you read the book American Dilemma or um, any book that had to do with um, – the social sociology of how people think people hire who they look like and they hire their friends and family. So America still have this friends and family hiring practices, which always 
um, it's the main reason we have the EOC um, because of the Friends and Family Program. Yeah, we've got to figure out a way how to break that cycle, how to break that glass ceiling, if you will, because there is a glass ceiling when it comes to us, when it comes to moving up in the financial world, moving up on Wall Street. You know, they'll let one or two people in, but they're not going to let the rest of us in. And my question is, to you, is that by accident or that by design? Oh, it's, it's by design. Um, these corporations, uh, from a PR standpoint, they will always say they have a diversity inclusion um, program, but when you look at the DNI program, the numbers are still against African Americans and Hispanics. Um, it's easier for someone from another country or um, from India or Asia to come here to get an executive position more than an African American. Now, these companies are very savvy. When I say savvy, I mean very savvy. They look at the numbers from a C suite and they will make sure they have one African American or one um, African American male or woman in these pictures. And, and that is done by design. You know, there's a lot of talent in the banking industry, financial industry that can work on Wall Street, but they would rather hire a their 35-year-old nephew or cousin before they hire a 53-year-old African-American um, professional that have 20, over 25 years experience on Wall Street into management. They will hire a younger person before they hire a 53-year-old. Yet at the same time, to turn away from the top, they are Darnell. We're the engine. We're the financial engine for a lot of these companies. They come to us. We buy their products. We'll buy their products more than anybody else, and they market it to us. When are we going to wake up and understand that we can take our money? How much money do they say we have? A trillion dollars? If we, you know, between us as a, as, a, as a African Americans, a trillion or more than a trillion dollars. Why don't we have more businesses? That's my, I guess that's my question to you. Why don't we have more businesses? Why are we, you know, taking orders from the folks who won't hire us? They sit there and they figure out how to, how to get us to buy the products or the goods and services, but yet still they won't hire us, so we won't we won't buy from ourselves, uh, from our own people who provide goods and services for us. How do how do we cross that bridge? How do we make that link? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, one of the things we don't have a lot of business is because we only have 17 African-American managed um, banks or owned banks in America. Compared to other cultures, um, Hispanics and Asian communities have more banks than us. As a matter of fact, in the state of California, um, Asian community have more banks. They think they have over 20 banks in, in California itself than African Americans have nationally. Now, one of the solution is if African Americans recognize that the church, if they have over 5,000 members, that church should easily have over $10 million in, um, in the bank somewhere, in a large bank or some other bank somewhere they should take their $10 million use of capital to start a credit union or a financial institution. Now, if you're in a big city like Atlanta and you get five of the mega churches 
together and they put up, you know, 25 or 20 million each, they can start a national bank charter by filing, filing an application with the OCC, but they have to make sure the application is done correctly. And one of the things that they need to do is find a former president of a bank to put them in, in head in charge as a future president of the bank and not think a pastor can be the president of a bank. And, and um, we have to find a way to give up the HNIC uh, when we look at what, what's going to benefit my church, what's going to benefit my community, is that a pastor don't need his hands in a cookie jar for every single thing. I have seen too many times the pastor that don't know anything, but he think he know everything. And it's the downfall of the major reason why he don't get tithes and offering. He's struggling to understand why people don't give as much as they did in the 80s and 90s. It's because people see the game that the churches are playing. So I think we have to stay focused on when we do see an African-American business, support it as much as possible, even to a certain point, um, one day a week, you support an African-American business by spending your dollars that way, by redirecting your dollars, similar to what Amos Wilson and, and, and Tony Brown stated. Right. And we used to have a group out in L.A. called Recycle Black Dollars. I think it's still around. And that's one of the things they mandated in the group, that you spend money with a black business or a black person every week. I tell you what, we come up and take a break. We got a, a caller from Cleveland for you. Got a tweet for you as well. Folks, you want to join this conversation. How can we generate more wealth for us as a community or as a, a group of people globally? What are your thoughts? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. W-O-L-B. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour. Ugly weather out there this morning, snowing, especially on the East Coast uh, between uh, New York and uh, Virginia. And the schools are closed in Virginia, uh, D.C. And, and Maryland. And all the federal offices are closed as well. So uh, just to turn the radio up and listen to us, maybe help us come with some ideas. We're not bemoaning the fact that we're at the bottom of the financial and social ladder. We're trying to figure a way out. Well, that's what we do here. We look for solutions. And our guest is banking and financial expert, Donnell Parker. And Donnell has given us some inside uh, information about how what's really going on. If it's really contrived that we're so somehow you know assigned to the bottom of the financial uh, and socioeconomic ladder, or how can we move up? If we can move a group of us up, that, that will greatly improve our standing. What, what are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Go to Cleveland on line two. Uh, TT, the truth teller, is waiting for us. Good morning. Uh, uh, what's up, uh, Brother Quasi? Uh, Brother Parker, can you all hear me okay? Good yeah. morning. Yeah. Oh, okay, first of all, uh, uh, Brother Quasi, you always talk about solutions. Uh, well, let me say this about solutions. Black folks got plenty of solutions in front of them. It's not about we don't have solutions. You just got to ask yourself how come they ain't implemented. The brother Howard from, I think, from California last week made a point. It's, it's some gatekeepers or somebody that don't want the solutions to be implemented. That being said, one of the solutions should be black banking. There should have been a process in place or a plan to expand black banking in the, in the black community, black-owned banks. Because these new platforms you got where your bank is 1,000 miles, 2,000 miles away, I dealt with one of these folks before, one of these entities. And they can hold your money. <laughs> they can keep your money. 
and you got to fight them tooth and nail to get it back. You can't walk into a branch. So I will no longer do business like that. You know, all my business is local, and unfortunately, you got to be with white banks because I want to walk into a bank if I have a problem or issue with my money. That being said, for the brother Parker, uh, a couple questions. They just passed that new cryptocurrency uh, law. Uh, I'm I'm trying to understand it, but I'm not a crypto expert. So if you can explain what the Fed's done on that, and also if you can give some recommendations for cryptocurrency. Uh, Bitcoin and the other one is too expensive for me. I've been looking at Tether. It's like a dollar. So I was thinking about going heavy in on them, or can you recommend some of those? Secondly, um, uh, what do you think about the, 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 the cannabis industry? Because I know they about to, uh, they trying to reschedule marijuana, um, and that's going to change it. And if they really just make it legal, the stock going to boom. Uh, the, the mayor of, 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 uh, or the governor of, of, of Maryland, uh, that brother had, I think a million shares in green thumb, but he had to do whatever because he became a politician. Now I invested some in that. I started buying it when it was 740. It's trading at about $12 now. But what I do is I have, I, I got a little strategy. I'm not a, a, a big play man in the stock market, but I'm getting into it. I got five like base stocks that I kind of put my money into when I can. Um, Amazon being one of them. I started buying Amazon at 90. It's trade now like over 150 uh, per share. So anyway, if you can give me um, some insight on, on what you think about that cryptocurrency and, and, and any stock you or, you know, anyone you may have your eye on there. Two, what are you looking at as far as uh, AI stock or battery stock coming up in the future? And thank you, and I'll take all my answers off there. Appreciate you. No, no, sir, sir, sir. I need, I need to have you stay on. Okay, um, go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. I, I need you to stay on because you asked a lot of questions. Is that okay, okay No. Sure, we're in a learning so mode here. Yeah, okay. go ahead. So, which of the cryptocurrency laws that you are talking about? Uh, the Fed just passed a law where they allow, um, I think, something to be traded under these so-called funds. Like some of these funds can, um, they have some regulation. Again, I'm not too familiar with it, but I've been reading about it and hearing about it, and I've been trying to do my research. But again, I'm not... I'm not an expert on that. That's why I was calling in to ask you. Maybe you you were aware of what they did on that because I think some of the these funds, maybe it might be a Vanguard or some of these other folks, they somehow regulated where, you know, it just went up over the last couple of days once they made that announcement. Okay, okay I know what you're talking about now. So this is very important. Um, what I'm about to discuss, this is not financial advice. This is just to explain what an ETF is. So the Security Exchange Commission worked with the Federal Reserve and Congress to allow Bitcoin to be traded as the exchange traded fund, which is called an ETF. Now, this fund is actually um, is tracked in um, exchange on the um, stock exchange. Um, in the future, um, the next one is going to be Ethereum. Now, we have to remember the CFTC, which is a federal government agency, stated that Bitcoin and Ethereum is a commodity, it's not a cryptocurrency. So we have to understand, we always use the word cryptocurrency, but we have to break it down to see what is this asset? Is it a digital asset? Is it real estate? Is it cryptocurrency? Is it a stable coin? Or is it a commodity? So commodities are usually a good thing to buy, like a commodity in the past is gold and silver or 
um, any other commodities that will hold value throughout the, the centuries. Commodities, to me, are a little bit better and stronger than a, a dollar. doesn't matter what country you're in because a dollar can come and go, but gold and silver or Bitcoin or Ethereum as a commodity will always be around in the future. And you can use a commodity as a collateral um, as well. Now, when you buy ETF, you actually don't own the Bitcoin. So I would be advocate of buying the Bitcoin directly and own it myself than buying an ETF. Because as you notice, because of the new law came out, Bitcoin went up to, I believe, 48000 but it went back down to 42000 last night or yesterday. Oh, so okay. it's fluctuating. So it's very volatile. So sometimes I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people are going to jump into it because people are talking about it. But sometimes always wait. You should wait until the news die down and buy it at a cheaper price. Now, what was your second question? Um, about the um – Stocks, as far as of anything you got your eye on, as far as uh, 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 AI stocks or, um, or or the cannabis industry and cannabis stocks, any information on that or, or, or what you see as, as big boomers? Yeah, so um, this is not financial advice. So what I do is you want to look at where is the government and uh, Wall Street is spending money or even Congress. Look at the Inflation, Inflation Reduction Act. What companies are receiving money or capital into their um, into the entity. Number one company is Tesla. Tesla will outperform, to me personally, Tesla will outperform any stock um, in the top, you know, Fortune 100 in the next, you know, three to five years. So um, I would say Tesla is one. Then everything else you have to look at um, what, what what do they have going on now and what contracts or what's going to keep them competitive advantage in the future. I think um, the name you mentioned, Amazon, is part of the Magnificent Seven, which receive a lot of funds from Wall Street and the government. Um, you know, you can look at from AI, you can look at IBM, um, Google, and Meta. No, I would take out IBM. But for some reason, IBM haven't folded. It's like two companies that haven't folded, and they probably should have, is um, IBM and General Electric. But for some reason, they still they still around. But I would say that um, Meta and Google are more of a stronger play than IBM. So, so for, and, for and, and, reason, and last one, what do you see that cannabis industry going? Um, I think cannabis is really not going to grow until all of the states approve um, the use of cannabis throughout. I think it's a speculation, um, a speculative investment right now. I think you know Tesla will outperform even cannabis um, in the next three to five years. Um, and when it comes to cryptocurrency, you did ask that question. Um, what you should do how to evaluate a company is look at their management team, um, their technology. Uh, are they using the technology now? For example, um, you might have, if you're in a crypto, you've seen it, um, you can see Bitcoin use cases, Ethereum, Solana, uh, Near Protocol, um, and um, I have to mention this to you. XRP, XLM are stable coins. I don't see those. Uh, you have to understand the uses. Stable coins are like a digital dollar. I don't see them, that technology going past, you know, $10 in the next 10 years. So, 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 basically, so basically what you're saying, the crypto, the, 
the best one to get in is something that that that's that's a commodity. Yes, and and it has use cases. Like for example, Ethereum is a commodity, but also it's software. Uh, Solana, Near Protocol, Avalanche. Listen to what I'm saying. They are software, like Microsoft was, like um, like Windows. Um, no, that's part of Microsoft. Like um, like Apple have their software, so more people are going to use it. So um, those three, Avalanche, Near Protocol, Solana, are software. When you're talking about X, uh, XRP, a lot of people talk about that because there's a lot of FUD on the Internet saying that's going to go to $589. And that's not going to go to $589 because they have too many tokens. If that was going to $589, I'd put all my investment into it because you can buy it for, what, maybe $0.30 cents now? So right. no, it's not going to go to $589. And if you think it was, then why are they telling everybody on the Internet that it's going to 589? So that is a distraction. Don't follow everyone on the um, Internet because that's, that's too good to be true. <laughs> I would tell Carl, I'd say, hey, Carl, this is 30 cents. This is going to go to five, $589. <laughs> everybody would buy it, right? Well, well you, give out, you would give out your contact information and how, to, and how to follow you or keep in contact with you, you know, before you leave, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, great. Right. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your questions. And I'm glad you, you schooled him on, on the cannabis or marijuana. Just call it what it is because it's illegal. It's still illegal in some places, in some jurisdictions. And that's the confusion, too. And it's illegal in some places and it's illegal in some places. Twelve after the top of the hour. Sister Sarita's joining us uh, from L.A. She's on line three. Good morning, Sister Sarita. You're on with Darnell Parker. Good morning, Carl, and to your guests. And I appreciate it. But the young man that spoke ahead of me, he definitely asked a lot of the questions that I was interested in. I I typed it as quickly as I could. But also, I wanted to touch on penny stock, if you can kind of give us an understanding on there, and also the importance of land, how important it is. But I I, I totally agree with you regarding um, banking. I remember when Pastor Price, uh, Frederick Price, was after the riots trying to buy up where all the burnt area was and white folks uh, literally turned him down because he was interested in, in opening up a credit union in order to teach the neighborhood how to bank, how to, you know, deal with loans and stuff like that. So I would appreciate it if you, uh, if you touch on what I asked, but definitely penny stocks because I'm a beginner. And so I would like for you to tell me, I, like I said, I wrote down what you said, but uh, some folks always, uh, well, the people that I come across talk about penny stocks and learning how to to do that. And so I'll take my comments off the air. Thank you so much, Carl. All right. Thank you, Sister Sarita. And, and Donnell, hold a, a response. We've got to take a short break here. I'll let you respond to what Sister Sarita asked you on the other side. Family, you want to join this conversation with banking and financial expert Donnell Parker? Reach out to us at 800 450 78, 76, and 14 after the top there. I will take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. It's 20 minutes after the top of the hour. With our guest is a banking and financial expert. His name is Darnell Parker. If you'd like to speak to Darnell, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Before we left, Sister Sarita in L.A. had a couple of questions for you, Darnell. So I'll let you respond. Thank you, Carl. I hope I remember 
um, all of the questions. Um, thank you for the great question, Sister Sarita. Um, so I'm going to say some things that you would never hear on TV. So um, when you evaluate a penny stock, uh, what I would do, this is my analysis, I would look at where are the investments going from Federal Reserve, Congress, and Wall Street. Then I would take that list and look at where is the money going into these corporations, BlackRock, Carlisle Group, and Goldman Sachs. And number four is a company that people don't talk about is Andreessen Horowitz. And the fifth company, I'm going to give Robert Smith, the billionaire, black billionaire Robert Smith, some love, uh, Vista Equity Research um, Company, and look at their portfolio and see which of these um, industries that I'm going to focus on. I'm focusing only on technology and data. I don't care about real estate. I don't care about, um, not say real estate, not the physical property, real estate, real estate as a um, industry um, or consumer products. Um, I even pit number three, biotechnology is um, a one that I'm looking at for Andreessen and Horowitz. For example, if you take the stock ticker um, uh, NVTA, um, they are um, a startup company. Um, their stock is probably under a dollar. And another one is called um, ACTG. I'm not, this is not financial advice. I'm not um, buying it, but you can actually look at the ticker and um, do your analysis and see if their management team is strong. Um, do you see this product is going to be used in the next 10 to 20 years? And Carl, we just have, have to imagine if we were to call Amazon or Netflix, it's like, well, if Blockbuster is going to go away, Who's, how will Blockbuster be wiped out? And no one really saw, I mean, not no one, but a lot of people didn't see Netflix was the stock to buy when it first came out or even Amazon. So if she can do her analysis and buy, um, put $1,000 to a penny stock, that can be a million dollars within 20 years easily. Uh, well, help us on that analysis, though, because you said that you, they look at the management structure when when invested in these stocks. Is is that a key ingredient for you to look for when you're investing? Yes, as John Coleman taught us, New World Order, there's a certain system um, or um, the former president, nothing happens without it being planned. Certain people are getting funding to make them successful. Um, so you have to understand where the money goes into, who is the leadership, who the CEO, what's their background, where they're from, where they went to college, who are they related to or who are they, um, who, who's, who's behind the scenes sponsoring them. And, but at the end of the day, you have to look at what is their use case. Um, can you see yourself using this product 20 or 30 years down the road? Or the majority of Americans or majority of people on the planet using this product around the, around the world? Mm. And she also talked about real estate. She mentioned uh, Dr. Fred Price, the late Dr. Fred Price at Crenshaw Christian Center in L.A. He's a, a pastor there. And his attempt to buy up some of the land after the L.A. Uh, uprising. Is real estate still a, still a good investment? Real estate is the number one investment. Real estate is the investment. Physical real estate is the number one investment that you can make outside of marriage. Because um, marrying the right person can uh, pitch you on a different um, platform um, compared to, you know, again, a divorce can be the big, biggest uh, financial decision um, disaster you ever make. 
So, no, real estate in general is the best investment. Um, it would be interesting to more a little bit more details about what Pastor Fred Price went through, but at the end of the day, he didn't have a credit union or a bank. And with his power in L.A., um, probably at that time, he could have easily got with, you know, three or four other pastors and came together to create a credit union. Again, a key thing is these pastors have to understand they cannot be in charge of a bank because they don't have the experience. You know, everyone would want to be the HNIC in a community, but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, well, somebody else needs to be a leader, but I can just stay in my lands pastor, but let this person um, lead my community um, as the president of a, of a credit union or a bank. Now, I'm not a fan of credit unions. Um, because credit unions, Carl, is not powerful enough to give those large commercial deals that he want to buy up a lot of land. If that land is a certain value, a credit union is very difficult to give out that credit, that loan amount if that credit union is not as big as, like, maybe federal credit unions. Um, but if it's a financial institution, you can use the fractional um, banking, um, you know, 10 times the amount of value to get more um, products compared to a standard credit union. So I'm not a, really a fan of credit unions, but credit unions is the start of banking to uh, for our community. But I w- I'm more of a fan of a national charter credit uh, bank so that we can have multiple branches compared to um, just one start off small credit union. Yeah, so I think interesting uh, to see. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I think uh, uh, Jamal Bryant is thinking on those terms uh, as well as creating a financial institution for his church down in Atlanta. I think that's one of the things he's been talking about. We'll see if it comes into fruition, though. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, Jamal Bryant, when he was pastor of Baltimore, and his assistant minister, Jeff Johnson, when he was, I think, the president of Empowerment um, Church in Baltimore, I had a discussion with him back then. That was probably about 2005, 2007, is that he's not making the—he's not moving the needle in the community without a financial institution. And Jeff Johnson, his former minister at the time, was the advocate of you know creating a bank back in 2005, 2007, but it never happened. Well, let's hope they become a reality real soon. Then, and all the other churches, and if you, your church is listening, and you know, on, before on Sunday, you know, have that conversation with your pastor. Twenty-seven away from the top. Now, Sister Fahima is joining us. She's on line four. She's calling from D.C. Good morning, Sister Fahima. Good morning, Mr. Nelson, and good morning to your guests. I wanted to raise a couple of things. Can you hear me? Sure. Okay, I sent you information about the CBC's Pathways to Sweet Sea. The Congressional Black Caucus for several years has had a program called Pathways to Sweet Sea. I sent you the link so you can post it on social media. And those in the listening audience, if you have college students in your family that are interested in banking, marketing, human resources, those are the majors, um, um, you just Google 
Pathways to to Sweet Sea Congressional Black Caucus. Now, I've written over the years um, recommendations for some of my students to participate in that program. And when I was a college student, they only had scholarships, internships, and fellowships. But the uh, Pathways to Sweet Sea, um, as you know, um, uh, Maxine Waters has been with uh, the Committee on Banking and Finance, and she had a lot to do with developing the Pathways to Sweet Sea program. Where it, uh, and they have a program for the summer, the and, and um, during the fall, and during the academic year. And so, those that are interested in banking, finance, marketing, and human resources, those are your majors. Um, um, look for the Pathways to Sweet Sea. It's a sweet, sweet Sea. That's a program that the um, Congressional Black Caucus has developed. There's also another program that President Obama was responsible for developing. It's called the Pathways Program for College Students and Recent Grads, and it gets you into positions in the federal government. It's called the Pathways Programs. And the other thing, I just wanted to, um, and if Donald can, you know, talk about exactly what Sweet Sea is, because a lot of people really don't quite understand that. And I just wanted to say two things to um, the two previous callers. Um, the brother, he was right on time in terms of the uh, marijuana, in, not the, well, not the cannabis industry. Cannabis is not just marijuana. Um, I invested in a company in Florida. And they don't do marijuana. They deal with CBD oils, um, lotions, and things of that nature. And when I saw that people were using cannabis for their dogs and their animals, I felt that it was a good investment. Um, now, you do have all of these dispensaries. And of course, dispensaries, they're just dealing with weed, played up. But, you know, cannabis is dealing with hemp and hemp oils. And there are a lot of products that have um, hemp oils in it, CBD oil, um, everything is not THC. And then to the sister, um, if she's a member of a credit union, they have financial advisors that will help you and open your brokerage account, getting an annuity, mutual funds. And just what you do is you get, you just buy what you're interested in. I, I think Donna had mentioned um, Jamal Bryant. I remember when um, Colin Kaepernick had gotten his Nike commercial. He didn't go out and tell everybody to buy Nike. He invited parents and grandparents with black financial advisors and got them to buy Nike stock for their kids. And what I did when my nephew was young, was was a little boy, I got him McDonald's stock. And so him, instead of him saying, I want McDonald's, he used to say, I own McDonald's. And just start out with what you like and what you're interested in. You know, and, and if you're getting dividends, you can do dividend reinvestment. But if Donnell could explain what exactly what Sweet Sea is so people will understand the pathways to Sweet Sea that the Congressional Black Caucus set up several years ago, I'd appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Sister Fahima. 29 away from the top of the hour. Donnell? Yes, that was some, that was a great re- response from Sister Sahima. Um, um, before I, I respond, I would like to mention one other program um, that was created back in 1994. Um, he was a um, John Rice, I believe he's um, brother of um, the former um, Susan Rice um, of the um, I think it's the Obama and Clinton administration. Um, he created um, part with the C-suite um, back in 1994. 
a group called or, or a company called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. Um, he was one of the advocates back in the mid '90s, talking about disparities of African Americans in the um, C-suite um, definition. Now, a C-suite refers to um, the company's highest levels of positions, usually like the CEO, CIO, which is the chief information officer, um, CFO, the chief financial officer, and um, the C, you know, the uh, risk managers, the audit committee. Um, these are usually the top, you know, one percent or the top thirteen positions in a corporation, and even including the audit committee and the board directors. We don't see a lot of African Americans in those positions, um, but we do have to find a way from African American employees to get into management, into senior management, and then into C-suite. Um, there's a lot of the problems we have in these corporations that, is that um, you said it earlier, Carl. There's a glass shield. Once you start making like that one hundred thousand to one eighty. Um, it's very difficult to get into management because people hire their friends and family throughout these corporations. So we need programs like the EEOC, um, the Pathways to Management, or the Pathway to C-Suite. If America was so honest, we wouldn't need these programs if people hire the best talent. As we know, America do not hire the people with the best talent. So a lot of people seen that sitting at the senior financial analyst role or middle management stuck for the next 10 to 15 years because of discrimination and people hire um, their friends and family over the best qualified and um, candidate. All right. It's 26 away from the top. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, though, I got a tweet from Gail, and I'll, I'll read it to, to you and let you think about it. It's, it's, more, it's more political than more financial, though, Darnell. And the tweet goes, if Trump gets into the White House, we will need to run for cover. He will be hostile, and the goal is to lock us and our sons up. Save some money because we will all need it. And she wants to get your response to that, and I'll let you respond after we take this short break. We'll be back in four minutes. If you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Darnell Parker. Darnell is a banking and financial expert. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Baba Lamuma from Emoja House in Washington, D.C. And he always has these thought-provoking topics for us to discuss. And this time around, Baba Lamuma will examine the issue of race versus class in the liberation struggle. And later this week, we're going to speak with the economist, Dr. Julianne Malveaux, also Detroit activist, Sister Shoshana Shakur, and chemitologist Tony Browder. They're all going to be here. Also, it's a, it's, it's a snow day in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. The federal offices have closed. All schools are closed as well. So I just want to keep you, if you stay home and stay warm, because it's, uh, it's snowing right now, and it's going to get colder, as they say, the weather people say. But Darnell, before we left the break, and I had this tweet, this tweeter tweeted this, some time ago, I decided to read it now for you. It says, if Trump gets into the White House, we will need to run for cover. He will be hostile. And the goal is to lock us and our sons up, save some money because we will need it. Now, saying, forget all the other stuff, but saving some money, how how can we do that? What, what, what would be the best way we could save some money in uh, this uh, tweet from Gail? 
Um, Gail, thanks for the question, but I'm I'm not on the show to talk about anything political. Um, that is her opinion um, that that might happen, but I would like to move to the next question, Carl. Yeah, well, let's just well let's let's take the saving part about it then. Uh, it's just just a regular savings account, uh, CD. What what would you think would be best for a saving model going forward? Well, I think uh, we have to. Um, apply all financial literacy um, throughout our life cycle, um, saving 10% or more, investing, you know, 10% or more, and find ways to um, continuous apply this from the age of 16 all the way up to when we retire. Um, I think those are the basic things that we need to do to um, move on from, you know, saving and investing. All right. Uh, Donnell, can you explain the Fed Bank term funding program? Well, the funding program is pretty much um, different credit programs they create to provide liquidity to um, banks and financial institutions to make sure that the banking system is safe and sound. How does that affect us, though? Does that affect us, or is it just that the bankers that this, this deals with? Well, it's really... Um, had to deal with banks like um, if you are registered with the Federal Reserve, if you have any issues from liquidity issues, you need to raise capital or your bank might fail because um, you mismanaged the bank or you gave out bad loans or um, you made some bad investments. Like we noticed from um, Silicon Valley Bank, um, that bank um, actually had failed. Um, they needed um, capital, um, and the Federal Reserve was able to step in, but at the same time, um, they wasn't able to provide all of the um, capital requirements to keep the bank stable and, and to survive. So um, there are different credit facilities that the Federal Reserve created after the pandemic in which um, some people um, believe that they shouldn't create these credit facilities to provide the big banks getting bigger and bigger, um, even – uh, for example, um, Congressman Barr, he's on the House of Housing and um, Financial Services Committee with Maxine Waters. Um, he stated that, um, told the regional banks, this, this money is pretty much, it's not free. Pretty much you uh, had to find ways to keep your bank afloat. And I believe in March 11 is the date that the Federal Reserve is going to close that banking program from the credit facility. And if that happened, these banks got to find ways to um, find other capital. And you might see a couple of these banks that borrowed money from the BTF program, which stands for the Bank Term Funding Program. You might see them fail in the next, you know, um, three to six months after March 11, because I don't know any investors going to put money into a bad bank unless they merge into a bigger bank. And do you see that happening? More, more mergers taking place, more banks being closed as we closed out at the end of last year. Uh, several banks and several, even the big banks are closed to some of their brick and mortar stores. Do you see that continuing this year? Yes. Continue. 2024 is going to be a major year. You're going to see more bank closures, more acquisitions, and you're going to see a lot of branch closing due to technology. Um, there is a lot of assets on bank books. They call it unrealized losses. Um, like, for example, in my analysis, Ally Bank 
has a high percentage of unrealized losses because they made bad investments. And um, they are over-concentrated in the auto loans. So if you over-concentrated in credit cards or auto loans and you deal with, you know, variable rates, you have a high chances for um, credit losses in the future. So um, banks like that size, that not a big bank, but those little small regional banks um, have a chance to uh, be swallowed up by the big banks within the next, you know, two to three years. And, and and the black banks, do you see them in, in danger or should they consolidate? How do you see for the, the future for the black banks? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, back in around 20... 2005, 2007, you know, when I was going around the National Baptist Convention, talking to pastors across the country, um, educating them on technology, educating on them that um, they need to create a national bank charter to consolidate, um, that agenda that I've been pushing back in 2005, 2007. In fact, I even spoke at the Nashville National Baptist Convention conference in Nashville, and it was so much um, how can I say it? animosity and turmoil, um, energy in that room that people didn't understand um, the um, um, <laughs> finances of how that um, these financial institutions can bring back money to their community and also bring up tithes and offering. Uh, because that was not done back in 2005, 2007, you see a major issue that um, these major MDIs won't survive um, because they don't have the technology and the capital to survive in the future. Similar to what the caller stated earlier, he stated that he's tired of going to these big banks because the person locally don't make the underwriting decision. He has to deal with someone, you know, 10 states over that don't know the community. He can't get a consumer loan product or retail product. So we, we've been having this issue since the 90s, and I don't see um, any of our banks surviving to meet our needs in the future. It's going to, only going to be a few options. I'm predicting less than 13 options in the future, similar to what we have in the media. There's only, you know, certain people who own the media, same things for banks in the future. It's only going to be less than 13 powerful banks in America that's going to be offering products. All right. We are 13 away from the top. Now, Jeff is joining us from Colorado. It's on line two. Jeff, good morning. You're on with Donnell Parker. Yes, I have a question. Uh, they have some, uh, I've heard some people talk about that. a lot of people are having difficulty purchasing homes. And I've heard some people talk about people, uh, they want to buy like community ownership of land. And that makes it easier for people to purchase land. Is that the way to go? Or is that to say, that's just to me. That's just like sharecropping because you don't own the land. If you don't own the land, you won't be able to borrow anything. I mean, they've talked about that, 
and uh, for you, you own the home, but you don't own the land. Is that the way to uh, go as far as helping people uh, get a place affordable, a mortgage uh, for them? Is that uh, uh, something to stay away from if you're in that situation? No, that's a great question. Um, what This question is really not taught to our community as much, and it should be. Um, it's more difficult for us sometimes to get a house off our salary. Sometimes it's easier to buy the land, and uh, once you get the land secure in your name or a company name, you can uh, refinance that and either build a home on the land or put a modular home on that land. By going back to the bank and say, hey, I own this land, here's my collateral, and I also I make a certain amount of money. I want to build this land, get a commercial loan. And most banks will allow um, you to build on a land if you own it outright, because they, but they're going to take your uh, land if you default on it. So it's easier to get um, a house or build a house that way instead of going the traditional they route. About, I mean, they were talking about uh, community ownership of land, where uh, a bunch of individuals own land, and then you would uh, – you would have a built like a community will be built on the community ownership of some like that. That's what they're referring to. Not one individual. They're just talking about community, maybe uh, 30 people, right. 50 people, hundred people. Is that the way to go? Yeah, to but help people at least to get a place, a mortgage, affordable mortgage. Okay. So I, I, I was going into that direction. So to finish my answer, you have to, when you get into a community, um, in, in a type of agreement like that, you have to read the agreement because every agreement is going to be done different. I like the concept, but the individuals, the 30 or 50 people have to make sure it's equitable and it's reasonable um, treatment. Like if I'm like, for example, coming to build that for a community and people who buy a house there and think they should get equal ownership and say, no, this is my money. I put up my money and my resources, my name on this. You're not going to get equal resource. I can give you 5%. By you know five percent divided by a certain number of individuals, but at the end of the day, that is a great idea. But it all depends on everyone coming to an agreement. Those thirty to fifty individuals coming to an agreement and being satisfied with that you know uh, partnership or that LLC they created um, in their terms to that partnership. It's going to be more like up to a hundred, a two hundred, or three hundred. I was just on that 30 to 50. Sometimes they're talking 100, 200, 300, 400, same kind of thing. Right, same same concept. You have to read the LOC, the uh, member understanding or the partnership. How is, it depends how the entity is set up. You have to make sure that everyone is in agreement uh, with those papers. And it, the agreement needs to be notarized and documented because if it's not, don't go by people's word or verbal. You make sure you have everything in writing. Would you be able to borrow any money if you would? I know people who've gotten businesses to uh, uh, to open up uh, uh, businesses from uh, from uh, they own the land, but they don't own the land. It's a community ownership. How would they work with helping them uh, own uh, get their businesses going? Or do you think? Well, again, a bank usually don't lend out money if they don't show proof that they own a portion of the land. If you have okay. Like the land, if the land is owned, like for example, you take 30 homes times that, if the land is owned, like it's worth 6 million, but if you own 5% of it, the bank can um, use that as collateral doing a use 
what's that called, uh, UCI filing. I forgot what they're called. If there's a filing, they can do UCC filing on that land as partition of collateral of that percentage. And then they can give a, um, a loan off of that percentage. Not like sharecropping, right? Mm, I wouldn't say sharecropping, but it, it's just a, a form to um, another way to get um, equity from a bank. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to use the word sharecropping. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Yeah. All right. Eight away from the top. Yeah, we're coming up on a break real soon. But when we get back, uh, how close are we to uh, just using the credit cards and the digital system? How very close are we? We're no longer we no longer deal with cash and those cash on hand. Everything else is done by credit card. How close are we to that digital doll that you've been telling us about for years? Family, you want to join our conversation with Darnell, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, the banking and financial expert. His name is Darnell Parker. Baba Lamumba, Hagrio from Emoja House in Washington, D.C. is on deck. We'll get to him momentarily. Just got a call from one of our listeners in Detroit. It says schools are also closed in Detroit. So schools are closed in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia because of the weather. Federal offices are also closed in the DMV as well. So it's stay home because it's snowing out there. It's not coming down too hard, but it is snowing they think it'll melt and then be turning to rainy weather later this afternoon. So we'll find out. But if you got a chance to stay home, just stay home and turn the radio up real high and listen to Darnell and brother Baba Lamumba. So, Darnell, how close are we to that cashless society? Well, I always ask you this question because I know it's coming. Yes, it's coming. And it's, it's pretty much um, almost here. I would say close to over 70% of transactions are already done digital using credit cards or your phone, um, like services like PayPal, Venmo, or Zelle. So over 70% of transactions in America are already digital. Now, when you say cashless, with no cash being used, that's going to take time. Um, the Federal Reserve is working on um, Fed Pay Now. Is that we have to resolve the issues of how is the underserved community is going to be using technology and banking. Um, and um, how the people are homeless going to be able to buy, you know, products without, um, you know, having, you know, physical cash. And I think one of the I, um, technology they're going to use is biometrics. Um, you can use your hand and your eyes, your face to buy products in the future that's going to be tied to your bank account. In China, they're already using it. Um, in other Asian countries, when you walk in the store, they can recognize your face to buy products and take money directly out of your banking account. But in America, it's not here yet. So I would probably say um, by 2034, 2036, it should be here. <clears throat> All right. Donnell, before we let you go, how can folks reach you? Yes, people can reach me directly at area code 202-643-8301. Again, area code 202 202- Six four three eight three zero one. Thank you, Carl, for having me on your show. All right. Thank you for all the information that you provided for us this morning, Donnell. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All Bye. All right, family. Two at the top of the alley. Say good morning to Obama Lamuma from Emoja House in Washington, D.C. Good morning, sir. Happy New Year. 
<laughs> Same to you, brother. Same to you. Yeah. You and I, all right? Yeah, we can hear you fine. And I was telling people, because, you know, this is a conversation I'm having with some brothers about class and race in, in the liberation struggle. They say, because they say that sometimes we we talk too much about the system of racism and white supremacy. They say they understand how the system of racism and white supremacy works and how it hinders us. But they think that we dwell on it too many times. It uh, uses it as a crutch, so it, it blocks any improvement or any, uh, a, a, not assimilation, but any way that we can move up on the socioeconomic ladder. But you say this is an underlying issue among the black freedom movement. Activists being questioned whether or not to define our freedom struggle, and we are, are in a struggle, as we acknowledge that first, to one of class or race. And you say the basic, basic question has been, at the center fight between almost every generation of movement activists, uh, some that we have been struggling against our own oppression. Yeah, that's why I hear too, Baba Lumumba. So explain what's going on here in this, this particular discussion. Well, let me start by saying, uh, what does it mean to have a legitimate movement for a people? You know, in other words, what, did it, what are we getting freedom from? What was done to us? that we're trying to free ourselves from, which is a fundamental question that has to be answered. For our movement to be legitimate, we have to address that. And, you know, what we have is a movement, for the most part, that doesn't address that. We have a movement whose focus it is, is successful assimilation into the, into, with the people who actually robbed us of our freedom. Uh, you know, uh, that's been a part of the problem. And this caste, uh, a class race debate, if you will, or discussion or dichotomy between these two perspectives, really get at the heart of that issue. What is freedom? What is what it is that makes the movement that we associate with the black so-called black freedom movement, a legitimate movement, if it doesn't elevate a people as a people you know when we were when we were taken and stripped from africa we we were stripped of our culture our identity our language our food our clothes our all of those things that make up uh, uh, our religion all of those things that make up people a people all of those things which are which 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 create an identity for a people of and then, you know, now we have people talking about there's no such thing as race. We really have people saying, well, it's genetically it's only 1% of the, uh, or less of the of genetic makeup that makes it different. Therefore, there's no difference. Well, the reality is that all of human drama, all of human oven, it has been conflict between races or some variation of what race is. As, uh, race involves, for example, culture comes from race. Where, wh- what is race? You know, what do, we, uh, what, do, what do we mean when we use the term? We really mean that what the environment has created and what our proximity to one another has created. You know, uh, uh, we're groups of people who are divided into groups that were created for the most part by our environment by uh, and by our proximity and we created out of that culture out of that culture and we became that environment for example if we look at why white people have straight hair and we have we have kinky hair we know that has to do with the sun we know we know that that 
the color of our skin has to do with the amount of sun and in terms of where we were and why we needed darker skin in order to protect ourselves from the sun. We also know that that environment produced an identity. It produced a race of people. So that's what we mean when we say race. We mean a fundamental distinction, and it's a distinction that has actually been what the primary source of both conflict and uh, and value at the same time, because who would want a world in which all the people were only one race, only one culture? Nobody would want that. Nobody would want a world in which there isn't a variety of humanity based on the various races, the various cultures that exist. That in itself gives us identity, gives us meaning, gives us is a great major part of what it means to be a human, the variety of human, but it's also the source of conflict. It's the source of oppression. It's the source of many of the problems we have. But we cannot escape both those realities. We cannot pretend as though the, the, the ultimate desire is to be one race of people, one culture of people, one identity. That would make, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous. But we have a movement that essentially operates with that premise, the premise that we need to eliminate the notion of race, the notion of culture, the, roast, the notion of human variations by group as a, as a way of solving the conflict that results from those groups of people competing with each other, those groups of people abusing each other, those groups of people taking advantage. All right, let me jump in here before you get go too deep. Uh, Bamba what do you say to folks who say there is no race? I don't see race. There's only one race, and that's the human race. What do you see to the people who are in that group? Well, well, I'll repeat what I just said. Who who would want a world in which race and culture are are closely associated? In other words, out of race comes culture, but also out of culture comes religion. The The things that human people identify with the strongest come as a result of the variations of human variations that these people are denying even exist. They're implying that it would be better if they didn't exist. So we let's act as though we they don't exist. This is absolute absurdity and nonsense. Makes no sense at all. Uh, the, the difference between you, your culture, your people, and somebody else's people are something that humans value, that you should value. At the point in which you don't value them, you say, let's eliminate them. They don't exist. Clearly they exist. Yeah, but, but, but let me jump here again at nine after the top of the hour. The black people who support Donald Trump, that's what he's talking about. Uh, and, and they still support him. And, and he tells them they're polluting, you know, they're coming and polluting his, I guess, his race. He's, he euphemistically says that. But we understand what he's, what he's talking about. How do you how do you how do you square with the facts of black folks who are supporting him when he's telling them that well, their their blood is is polluting his blood? But go ahead. Black people who support Donald Trump who don't understand or don't accept or don't it guy uh, are not guided by the fact that this man has in fact taken the entire Re- Republican Party and moved it closer to the position of the Ku Klux Klan, one of racial superiority one of which you are permanently subjugated to or uh, to a position of inferiority in your society. That's what Donald Trump represents. So how do you support that? How do you support what Clarence Thomas does? Clarence Thomas is, a, is an overt uh, traitor 
So is that a model we need to follow? You know, and people follow that because of their own thing. They think it's going to make them more secure. They think when white folks come down on us, when the white folks decide they, you know, they become a kind of Hitler and decide they're going to kill black people, they'll spare them. They'll they'll be the ones who survive because they'll they're joining their enemy's side as a way of being secure or feeling secure or thinking that's going to help them personally. That's really what's going on. That's really what's happening when you look at these people. It's nonsense to support Donald Trump. It's absolute nonsense. Now, the other argument, of course, when you look at Biden or you look at the liberals and et cetera, I said, yeah, but the fundamental difference between the left and the right is the right wing wants to either re-enslave you or kill you. The left wing simply wants to control you. Yes, they're both undesirable. But one is clearly much more undesirable than the other, much more undesirable than the other. You cannot identify with your enemy. You cannot join your enemy. You can't help your enemy if, if, to, if, to, be, to have any sense of what it means to be free as a people. See, the key is we have to work as a people. We can't serve our own needs, our own insecurities, our own desire, in our, because that's what we do. We operate as individuals, we compete with each other instead of uniting with each other. Uh, uh, all right, and let me ask you this though, because we come up on break, <laughs> Bob. What does this say for so many people, millions of people in this country who, who support Donald Trump? They support his views, the, what you just outlined. Not just uh, white people, we got well, black and Spanish, and, and every jumping on his, his bandwagon. What does this say about this country? You, you, I, I guess before Donald Trump, we didn't think we had that many racists living in this country, but now they all showing showing up. Exactly. What it does is it shows you the true nature of the society in which you live in. The true nature of the society, we like to look at the Constitution. And we forget the fact that when the Constitution was written, it was written by slaveholders who, when they wrote the Constitution, didn't free a single slave. So when they said all men are created equal, they meant all white men are created equal. All white people are created equal. They did not mean that you were equal. They didn't mean that. Otherwise, they would have suddenly said, wait a minute, I, how, can, how can I, as Jefferson, own 600 slaves? Well, let me let these 600 people go. No, he didn't let a single one of them go because he didn't believe that you were equal. So the Constitution doesn't believe that. One, this country was created for the benefit of white people. That's why they came over here. That's why they, they you know, chased the Indians and run them up and killed them when, when possible and took their land from them, et cetera. They didn't come over here and say the Indians are equal to them. They say, get out the way. We're come. We're superior. When they went to Africa and got you and took your culture away from you, they, they you brought you here to work for them. They brought you here to serve their interests. They didn't bring you here because you were part of the Constitution and all people are created equal. These are the same people who created the Civil War. These are the same people, the same population. People think, right. for example— uh, Hold that thought right there, Baba Lamumba. You're bowling down somebody's alley right now as we speak of 14 after the top of the hour. But we got to take a short break. And Sister Sandra in Baltimore wants to speak with you. Folks, you two can join our conversation with Baba Lamumba from Emoja House in Washington, D.C. Reach out to us at 800 450 Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. W-O-L-B. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. 
And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour, this cold, uh, snowy day in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore and in, in Chicago and uh, Cleveland and Detroit, New York. You know, I'm hearing reports from the different listeners there in Philly as well. But stay inside and turn the radio up and listen to Baba Lamuma from Emoja House in Washington, D.C., Always has these thought-provoking topics for us to, to talk about, and this morning he's talking about the issue of race versus uh, class in the liberation struggle. You know, some people say they don't see race; they, everybody's the same. It's a human race. If part of the problem is the other folks, they do see race when they look at you. Anyway, Baba Lamuma, I'm gonna let you finish your thought before we speak with Sister Sandra in Baltimore. Uh, yeah, the the idea that you know human beings come in varieties that there, there are differences in human beings. We call that race. Race, culture, tribe, even religion is a function of culture. Most religions develop from culture, which develop from race. Nationality is associated with it. You know, the only term that breaks through that is something that people use when they talk about caste. Caste actually recognizes both elements, economic element and the, and the racial element. But uh, we'll talk. We can talk about that later. But uh, the idea that human beings are not different uh, is ridiculous to the point that it you, you, you it should be thrown out. There you can't you can't just be a human being. Your identity is is associated with what kind of type of human being, which is associated with race, which is associated with culture, with tribe, with religion, with nationality, etc. These things are fundamental to the human, but they also that which adds to us. We appreciate that. We don't want to be just one people. No one in their right mind wants to eliminate culture, and if you don't, uh, which is a d- direct result of race, etc. So, I mean, you, we need to purge ourselves of this idiotic notion that somehow, simply being a human being. And eliminating the, the, the talking about dealing with uh, 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 reacting to etc. One's cultural differences, one's racial differences, one's tribal differences, one's religious differences, etc. Is off is the way to deal with our problems. No, the problem is our, our relationships in terms of those things. The problem isn't that we are distinct, that we are different, that we are that, and that we have pride in those differences. If we don't have pride in those differences, where can we go? We don't have – there's no legitimate movement for a people that doesn't start with those people being proud of who they are, being proud of their culture, being proud of their identity. Being It doesn't exist. We try to make that happen. We try to say we're going to have a legitimate movement without uh, talking about, without dealing with, without emphasizing who we are as a people, our own identity. We want to abandon identity at the same time, elevate our people, which is a total absurdity. But that's right. what we do. All right, hold that thought right there. Sister Sandra is joining us right now on line one, calling from Baltimore. Good morning, Sister Sandra. Good morning, Carl, and good morning to your guest. And I want to ask your guest, if that's why they so hung up on AI, is that they trying to destroy people's, uh, they want to bring in AI so there will be no identity you just be a robot? McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, let, let me just say, AI is a function of the approach that Europeans have taken to the world. Uh, it, you know, it's based on economics, based on making money. Uh, it's yes. ad- advancing themselves by some people gaining something that they can sell to other people. People will buy it, and then they pretend like it's going to be helpful to them. One of the things about being an older person, you know, I tell people, I remember when – Television didn't exist. So we've seen so you we I've seen so many changes. So I'm able to compare those things. I remember when telephones had party lines. I remember when, you know, I remember, you know, when televisions were when they came into existence, when they were just black and white. I remember before computers. I remember a lot of these things. So I can make comparisons to these things. And I realize that our happiness, our well being, our sense of satisfaction. Our sense of security is not a function of technology. We, it doesn't improve because we have cell phones in our pocket. Doesn't improve. In fact, in many ways, those things like AI take something from us. We ignore exactly. the fact that they take things from us. They destroy our relationships, for example. Exactly. They destroy our and, and you know we pay that price without even recognizing that that it is in fact the price that we're paying. There's a lot of damage that's being done by technology to human relations, to black exactly. people's relationship to each other, to, to our family relations. To a, a lot of these things are, are, are casualties are really of what we call, what humans, what Western society calls technology, technological advancement. Technological advancement is not always advancement. We, are, we always lose something. For example, we know exactly. that Climate change is, is a result of what? It's a result of the destruction of the internal combustion engine. It's a result of okay. burning coal. It's a result of technology. <laughs> it's technology, in effect, destroys as well as it, it gives. And we have, only, right. we have not gained the capacity to understand what that balance is and where we're going, what the results are. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so that's a serious problem. So I think there is something He's we can talk absolutely about. absolutely right. Right. Can, I want to, can I say one more thing, Carl? Yeah, go ahead. Don't Sister believe Sandra. that Donald Trump got for something for black people. Just go back and ask Anna Rosa. What did he do to her when he got tired after he used her? Where is she at now? All right. How Thank well you, Sister Sandra. Okay. Uh, Twenty-seven at the time there. Uh, let's let's look at the, the different categories, though, uh, brother Baba Lamumba. Let's start with class first. Some people, you know, in the class, and, and usually when we talk about class versus race, we're talking about upper class, the bourgeoisie, those who have made it. And some people say they're the finest examples, and they pull themselves up from their bootstraps. And and we can all do reach them, and all should be we all should be trying to be like them, and ignore the race issue because if we if we we dwell on the race issue too much, we we miss the big picture. What do you say for those folks? 
Well, first of all, uh, the concentration of wealth, let's look at it from that perspective. Uh, we live in a society in which 1% or 2% of the people control maybe 60%, 70% of the wealth. And that's getting more and more. That means when you have winners, you have losers. But there are far more losers than there are winners. So, you know, there are, you know, there are more people who are homeless now because some people are, 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 have, are multimillionaires, multibillionaires, let's say, which also produces this, this tremendous this homelessness problem. This produces a, so we live in a society which will always tell us that these advancements, even though they work against much of the population, should be embraced, should be uh, used to and represent an, an advancement. No, they represent also death and destruction to many people. They represent things out of balance. They represent so favoring and looking at the elites looking at those people who are who who somehow managed to become wealthier you know at po- what point does wealth uh, create problems for other people and it should in fact be be uh, restricted why does a person who has a billion dollars want a billion and one dollars or two billion dollars or three billion dollars what point does it make to the what what does society say about it it doesn't restrict wealth even though that wealth is often at the expense of people who are poor, even that the wealth is also at the expense of people's lives, people's ability to be, you know, to have what they need to survive. So, I mean, where, where, is, where, do, where do we talk about both of these? Where do we talk about the downside of the concentration of wealth, the, the, the negative effects, the destruction that it causes for many people, the people who are now homeless and, and because they have no place to live while somebody else has a house on every continent in the world or has a, a large yacht or has a – where do we talk? How do we resolve that? Now, it's interesting because there, there's this other process that's class that, you know, the, the, the Marxists or the scientific socialists or the uh, uh, talk about, we, you know, uh, that class conflict is the way to resolve that issue, that – the working class who will, will rebel against the ownership class, and they will produce this, this so-called dictatorship of the proletariat. But when we've seen this happen, and, when, of course, it's really never really actually happened, uh, it doesn't result. It results in one group of people taking over from another group of people. Now, sometimes socialist societies result in, in people having, you know, working class people doing a little bit better, but many times it doesn't. Certainly it results in the concentration of wealth, of power. Uh, you know, when you look at China, for example, China produces a, a whole bunch of millionaires and billionaires, even though it claims to be a communist society. It claims to be that stage of communism, which is they talk about as being the dictatorship of the proletariat. In reality, it's people in charge are actually – in charge. They are actually the ones who make the decisions. They're actually the ones who benefit in the same way it was prior to the revolution. Now, it may be a little broader. We're not saying that a socialist revolution doesn't often result in some benefits because it can. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. 
But all right, hold that thought right there because we'll come up on a break. And when we come back, Mark in Baltimore has a question for you. But if you just join us, family, we're discussing the age-old issue of race versus uh, class in the liberation struggle. Some people, as we mentioned earlier, don't see race. They say they don't see race. Everybody just named there's only one race, the human race. Yet there's a, a class element that some of you know about the, uh, Dubois when he created the Talented Tenth, you know, the ten, those ten talented black folks. Uh, some people call them the Boule, and I've seen the Boule charter. It's, it's in, in his, uh, uh, if you go to Ghana and, and see where his, his, his uh his library is and where he resides or where he used to reside. You'll see the you'll see the actual charter with the names of the the members of the Boule who used to, when he started the Boule. But anyway, they were supposed to be the talented tenth. Those are the ones who are supposed to uplift the rest of us up to to another level. So we want to get your thoughts on this because this discussion has been going on since then. Is it about race or is it about class? What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Those are the magic numbers to get in on this conversation. We'll be back in four minutes though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. 23 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Baba Lamuma, out of Emoja House in Washington, D.C. And as usual, always these thought-provoking topics he provides us to make us think. And that's what we want you to do this morning. And then discussing the the issue of race versus class. What is the one in the liberation struggle? Which is helping us more? Which is hindering us? What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Those are numbers to call. Speak to Baba Lamuma. Before we do that, though, let me just remind you, coming up in the next few days, you're going to Hear from economist Dr. Julianne Malveaux, uh, also Detroit activist Sister Shoshana Shakur, and also chemitologist Tony Browder. They're all going to be here this week. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Baba Lamuma, I'll let you finish your thought, and then uh, Mark in Baltimore has a question for you. Well, you know, I. I, I find myself repeating myself often, but, you know, I think the reality is that we must cherish who we are and what we are, and we must go back to Africa. We must go back to the point in which we were, what was taken from us, our culture, our identity. We have to go back there. If we don't go back there, if we don't go back to to, to grabbing and embracing and loving what it is that we were prior to our, our subjugation, then we've allowed our oppressor to define us. If we simply become uh, uh, people whose identity begins after our subjugation, as a result of our subjugation, then our oppressor has provided us with an identity that is demeaning, that is uh, uh, inferior, that we have in self tried to avoid. So we have to actually we have to actually grab the real problem. The real problem is pride uh, in our in our African Africanness. Uh, and, you know, and you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to be an African? What is it? What is the essence of of African? What is the difference between how black people, how African people, and you know, when I say African, I mean black African people uh, saw themselves, see themselves relate to each other and how Europeans relate. And it has to do with what we call communalism. Africans are communal. They build institutions around the communities in which they live in, they, they, their language, 
their relationship to one another. They are all built based on something we call communalism. They're, in other words, their relationship each, with each other is primary. For Europeans, individuality is primarily what what's good for them, what they can get out of it, how they can, you know, their what's primary to them is their individuality. What's primary to Africans is our communalism, our relationship to each other. That's a fundamental difference. And if we return to our Africanness, we return to this notion of communalism, this notion of placing our relationship with each other as being more important than our own desires, if you will. Uh, we, la- we live in a situation in which our own desires are, are, are what dominate our re- and destroy our relationship with each other. We, we, pit our- we compete with each other. We don't complement each other. That's why our marriages uh, are fall apart. That's why we, you know, we have the problems we have. And I, I you, you know, the the popular spoken Black Lives Matter. We, Black Lives Matter have to matter to Black people first, but they don't. We kill ourselves. You know, we uh, we uh, we rightfully get upset about white folks treating us badly, police brutality, police killing each other, and all that. But you know, we kill each other far more than they kill us. We probably kill each other twenty or thirty a day, well, uh, you know, and we don't, we don't, we're not as upset about that. We don't come and say, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute." We we have become, in many cases, our own worst enemy. Where is this element of love? Where is this element of respect? Where is this element of identity that we have to have in order to improve ourselves? But where is it? Why do we not? respond to each other as though we love care and respect our identities as a people why don't we do that because for us uh, you know we we really have to make black lives matter to black people first and then to other people second yeah that's some real talk right there baba lumumba at 42 after before the top of the hour after the hour i should say i'm tripping on what you just said because it was so correct mark is joining us from baltimore he's on line one good morning mark Hey, good morning, man. I, that was so refreshing, uh, brother. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely um, uh, class. You know, we shouldn't even, you know, black people, we got everything we need right here in Baltimore. Everybody that's in any position to help us, um, they're black. Anybody and, and anybody that's, that's in position to, to spend our tax money right on us, uh, is is us look like us and it just it just happens hasn't happened and like you said brother i'm so glad you said that um you know because that's black lives black nobody talk you know talks about that us here in baltimore captain andrew and all and everybody when we out in the street one of our chances we all we got we all we need and and like carl said we got to recognize the power that we have and, and I talk to Africans all the time. It's a African man on a, a body shop across from me. And he said, Mark, he said, most of my people, he said, most of the time that people that used me was my people. Because you got in a conflict. And they, but he said, he don't understand why we, you know, why we killing each other like we are. They don't respect us for doing that. And, 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 and with Donald Trump, I don't care nothing about Donald Trump. He lost in 2020 because we had four years of him. His sister came out, 
said he was the most dangerous man on the planet, wrote a book about it. His niece came out, said the same thing. His secretary of state called before he quit, called him an effing moron, never took it back. His four-star general uh, um, chief of staff called him an idiot, never took it back. I'm not worried about him. Send our sister out there, uh, Kamala Harris, like I saw last night, along with Brother Dunn from uh, uh, January 6th, who wrote a book and running for Congress, and let them hit every college and everywhere and get us on the offense that we should be on because the Republicans are ran, ran by people like Donald Trump and Jim Jordan of the Crazy Caucus. Y'all take care. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Uh, Bob, remember you want to respond to anything that uh, Mark said? No, no. I just I appreciate listening to his sentiments, brother. You know, I think he understands what I'm trying to say very well. That is to say, you know, if we if our advancement doesn't come from us, if we don't desire to be a stronger people, if we don't actually work to be to, to increase our, our our relationships with each other, right, then we're lost as a people. You know, we must focus on ourselves. And I talk about it as love. I talk about it as respect. But it comes from. So, so what's stopping us, though, Baba Lama? What's 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 holding us back? Why? Why there's so much self-hate? Well, because we bought into their value. They they consider us inferior and they've imposed that view of ourselves on us. We, in order to accommodate them, in order to live in a society, we've accepted the value of our own in collective inferiority. And, I, and because we have accepted the notion of our collective inferiority, we operate as individuals. We say, I'm different than the rest of black people. We operate as, as though, you know, uh, we don't have a, uh, not only a, not a love, but we don't even have a respect or an understanding. We don't know what it means to be an African. We don't know what it means. And I don't mean an African in the sense that because many Africans have the same problem. Many Africans actually, you know, walk around here trying to be European or adapted to European cultures and values, et cetera. Look upon their own people as being inferior, et cetera. So, you, you know, you don't escape. Africans don't escape it. And in fact, interesting enough, it is us who are further advanced in terms of understanding this dilemma. We're the ones who produce the kind of emphasis of pan-Africanism. We're the ones that Nkrumah looked to. We're the ones that uh, 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 Fela looked to. We're the ones that have looked to for a way out of the black dilemma, the black acceptance of values that demean us, values that, that because we've internalized the values that are, are most demeaning to us. We, we, we have not learned to appreciate ourselves. So it means... You know, like I said before, the, the, the transgression from our oppressor was that they stole our, our culture and they stole our respect that we have and our love that we have for each other. That's what they did to us. And we, until we replace that, until we put that in place, then we're, we will consider ourselves inferior and we will operate to accommodate his and internalize his values that work against us. So we're he's working against us, and we're working against ourselves. And wow, until Black deep. Lives Matter to black to black Black Lives Matter to black people, black history, black culture, black identity has to matter to black people. It has. We have to love it. We have to embrace it. We have to uh, reconstitute it. We have to understand it. And none of us are trying to do that. So we end up with these perspectives, class perspectives, and other kinds 
perspectives that do, do not allow us to do that. Block us from the very thing that we need, the love, respect, honor, knowledge of, of each other, uh, the, 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 that which our ancestors tried to give us. Uh, mm. Hold that thought right there, Bob Lemon, because we're coming to Compound Bread. Carl is reaching out to us. He's in Palm Beach uh, County. He's down in Florida. He's on line two. Carl, you're on with Bob Lumumba. Okay. I, I wanted to look at it from the perspective of those of us who were here in America, and we understand what Malcolm was talking about when he talked about the house Negro and the field Negro. And I don't see where we ever had a real conversation. We're always trying to talk to someone else, but we never really try to look at that kind of dynamic inside of our own reality, because when we look at the educational process, um, we know that our brothers that are Catholic, Catholic, all those are the sororities, these are supposed to be the best educated that we have. But when they've been given a knowledge void of the knowledge of themselves, then they do what Malcolm talked about with the coffee. Um, it used to wake you up, and then you don't integrate it. And we don't, when we look at integration, we see how it done put us to sleep. So I think until we have a real conversation with our Greeks, our, um, our different organizations, those, those parts of the body that don't function properly, I think it's time for us to take it into a, a one room where the brain is at and have a, fel- a real fellowship as opposed to dealing with the branch knowledge around. Because I think if we look at what Malcolm said again, I think it's very important because the sellouts are, are really, I'm not meaning this disrespectfully, but the sellouts really are a lot of our so-called educated black people. And when they get in those positions, they're not going to make no wave. They're going to go until they could take care of their family and everything else, which is normal. But it's just not beneficial for those of us who have suffered here in the bounds of North America. And I just wish we would look at ourselves as opposed to looking at everybody else because, you know, we help everybody. We don't fight for everybody, but, you know, we don't fight for ourselves. So I hope we will look at education and look at our babies and look at the possibilities of starting a new mindset inside of our community like what we used to have before we integrate. And I was asking you, what do you think about that? Uh, um, All right. Uh, thanks, Carl. Thanks for your call. And also, I'll throw this on there, too, as well, Bob, at the moment. Do the sellouts know they're selling out? Uh, I'll let well, you respond to uh, uh, so, Carl's uh, question. No segment of the black community has avoided the notion of, of, of black inferiority or white supremacy. None. Whether, whether they're college-educated, fraternities, sororities, make money or don't make money, brothers in the street who sell drugs to each other, brothers, we all are involved. We all have the same liability. It manifests itself differently. But, you know, it, it isn't like, you know, poor black people have so much more respect for, for black culture, black identity, than, than they, they need to teach you know, wealthier or, or more privileged or more advantaged black people. It's not, that's not the case. That is clearly not the case. Uh, no, we, not, 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 not from that perspective. Not, not from that perspective, um, brother. I'm just talking, look, when we educate people, we just, the reason why we went to school so we could make some money, supposedly to come back and uh, continue to build our community. But when we well, integrated, uh, all uh, of those uh, brothers uh, went to another direction. Well, but all right. Let him respond. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for your call. Go ahead, Baba Lumumba. Uh, all, all, all of us do that. All of us do that because none of us have enough uh, respect, enough knowledge, enough love for that which makes us who we are. That is Africa, African culture, African ways of life. We don't have an alternative to the white man's values. We operate on his values, and and 
that's well, let me jump in here and ask you this, though, Baba Lamont. The closer we get to them, monetarily, financially, socially, the further away we move from Africa. Is, is that a, a correct conclusion? Well, I think that is. That I think that the ambivalence and the conflict and the, uh, the, the schizophrenia, if you will, as you talked about, that becomes more acute. You know, for example, when I say when Colin Powell went in front of the United Nations and declared that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, which caused millions of people to die, he knew that that wasn't true. You know, and so what we when you know there's a there's this black um, uh, photographer that is now being exposed. He was very much involved in the civil rights movement. Is now being exposed as an informer. And, you know, uh, in, in that he was actually gathering information from for for the FBI that was used against the movement. Uh, you know, we 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 deal with in, in a, and I was listening to a lot of people talking about him and they said, well, he was doing that in order to make a living. He was doing that. So so he could feed his family. Well, hey, you know, if, if they told you if, if they said assassinate one of our leaders. So you can feed your family. Would you justified in assassinating them? Would you, are you justified in operating? In the, but most of our people are in positions where they will justify and rationalize, no matter what they do, as being something that 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 is allowable, something that's permissible, something that is in, encouraged by other black people. Get it for yourself. Get what you put yourself right. ahead of. And hold that thought right there, because we're coming up on a break. I know what you're talking about. Those folks are under the illusion of inclusion. They think they don't think they're part of us anymore because they reach a certain level in society, economically, that they, they, they don't identify with the community. So they identify with the oppressor. But I'll let you expound on that when we get back. And Benita in North Carolina has a question for you. Also, Money Mike in Baltimore wants to speak with you, and we'll take those calls in four minutes. Right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with Baba Lamumba. He works out of Emoja House in Washington, D.C. And he always has these thought-provoking topics for us to, to discuss. And right now we're talking about the issue of race versus class in the liberation struggle. This is the kind of conversations that our ancestors had back in the day of Garvey, Du Bois, and also Booker T. They had these conversations. Then back in the 60s, uh, Brother Malcolm uh, brought it up, but he termed it the house Negro and the field Negro. Again, what is the issue of race versus uh, class in in this, in this our struggle? It's, it's an age-old conversation that we have in the barbershops and, and also in the beauty salons about this this topic. Which one is holding us back? Which one is moving us forward? Baba Lamuma, I'll let you finish your thought. Then uh, Sister Benita in North Carolina wants to speak with you. Well, you know, I, I, I want to reemphasize the fact that no segment of our community is not culpable with this problem. All of us have bought into this basic notion that black people are, are are not quite as good as white people and that we need to be more like them. One of the problems with the with the educated, shall we say, black person is that they spent so much time in colleges and so much time becoming who, um, like white people, paying and working hard to be that, that they're a little bit more invested in that model. But, you know, poor black people, black people who have not gone to college are also invested in that model also believe 
that the way forward is to become more like in, uh, white folks and to become more like them and to advance ourselves, to, you know, in, in, in that direction. So we're all culpable, really, to this problem. Uh, no segment of the black community is, is, escapes this reality that we have bought into a frame of reference, a direction that, in fact, uh, is, is, will, will trap us. Will ensnare us. Will has that has no ultimate uh, uh, recourse, the ultimate uh, progress. It doesn't lead us to freedom. Freedom is not a simil- successful assimilation into this society. Freedom is not accepting their values and their way of life. Uh, uh, freedom that is not freedom for people. Freedom is redressing that which they took from us in the first place. Our own identity, our own culture our own pride of that goes, but we don't know it. We get trained away from it. We, we're not, we, you know, we have to understand that. No, there's no segment of our community that escapes this problem. And until we escape this problem, we have nowhere to go. We have no answer. We have no solution to our problem. We're, our problem must be elevating ourselves. Our problem must be becoming free and independent, self-determined, people. Our, our problem is returning to an identity which we love, appreciate, and that represents us, that which they took from us. And any other direction doesn't get us anywhere. And in fact, it creates more of a problem than it solves. You know, the more educated black people, the more black people who are doing well in the society, the, the, the assimilation is means ultimately disappearing as a people. Total assimilation means your elimination as a people. That's what it really means when it comes down to it. Uh, all it, right. It well, that's not. all right there, because let that sink in for a second, Bob. I'm going to take some more calls for you. Line three, uh, Sister Benita is calling from North Carolina. Good morning. Good Sister morning. Benita there on line three? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, go ahead. You're on with Bob Lumumba. Okay. Sister Anita, hi. Um, I wanted to say... If we didn't value ourselves, why did Elijah Muhammad, well, if we we were kidnapped, raped, castrated, hung, beat, oppressed, and then Elijah Muhammad said, well, you know, just remember that you don't have to be kidnapped and raped and you can have a mother and father in the home. And if a man's going to have more than one woman, then he can at least respect the fact that the life comes out of the woman and that he can take care of those children. And so I think he answered the question. So, and then Martin Luther King said, that's fine. We can, we can throw it all under the bridge, you know, but uh, from now on, let's make it fair. And I'm not being oppressed and being, you all being violent with me to have what I need to have. So I, and then they killed him and then they assassinated uh, Elijah Muhammad's personality and divided so-called divided the student and the teacher which was malcolm x and elijah muhammad as though they were foes and i believe other uh international forces had something to do with uh malcolm x dying because uh that meant we had rights to money and friends that could possibly help us get out of the bondage that we were in here and and big countries, the countries that are fighting against little countries right now are the very ones that was doing it. 
you know. So do we really have a, a, a real identity? And look at Jeremiah Wright. Look, look at how that character assassinated him. So Obama couldn't be the first black president. So I think we have a good self-image. I think someone tries to destroy that and then expect us to have it when they have all the jobs to influence our young children. So what wow. do you think? All right. Thanks, Sister Sunita. Thank you for that. Put a lot on Baba Lumumba's plate. But Baba Lumumba, I know, can handle it. Go ahead, Baba Lumumba. Well, you know, we have always had people who have seen the light. Oh, Elijah Muhammad being one of them. Of course, Marcus Garvey even before him and, and other people who have actually seen the, this contradiction, this problem that we face and have tried to charter, charter a way out of it, a way around it, a way through it. Um, you know, we have a whole line of, and they're generally referred to as black nationalists or pan-African nationalists, uh, have created this idea that independence really is the answer. Um, and, you know, that's that's certainly a, not only is valid, but it's very important. What King represents and what the Civil Rights Movement represents is essentially uh, living well or living comfortably in this society is also important. We have to have health education. We have to have certain health care, et cetera. We have to be, so both both perspectives are, are valid in their own context, both are, but you know, the reality is that they have to be, you have to operate on both of them. You have to actually make life a little more pleasant for people here if you can. People have to have food. They have to have uh, a place to live. They have to have health care. They have to be able to live in this society. So you need a, an effort that makes, that tries to make that happen. But they also have to have a goal that says, no, ultimately we have to have self-determination. We have to respect Africa. We have to return to those values. We have to actually create an alternative to this system. So at the same time, we have to live in a system. We also have to create an alternative to it or, or direct ourselves in a way that leads to an alternative. Because this system, in fact, is dying. It's, it's corrupt. It's, you know, it's on its way out. So, you know, there, that's another reason why we have to create an alternative to it, because it is, in fact, dying. And if we're going to, if we're not going to die with it, then we have to create an alternative to it. And the alternative to it has to be African-based. Has to be based on our relationship to each other. Has to be based on communalism. Has to be based on the fact that we're not in charge of nature, but we're a part of nature. All fundamental elements and what it means to be an African person living an African life. We have to do that. We have to go in that direction. We have to move in that direction. It's not an exclusive direction, but we have to incorporate both the efforts that that ease the pain that we're feeling here, which we can call we can talk about as being the civil rights movement. But we also have to have a a movement which is an alternative to being here that points us in a direction that allows us to survive, that allows us to reconnect with our past, that allows us to be who we have to be, and who the world depends on that. Well, let me ask you this, though, the, uh, Brother Baba Lamuma. Do you think white folks know about this discussion that we're having now, that we go through these contradictions? Do you think they understand what, what's going on? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only 
at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, we get played constantly, you know, uh, all, all, you know, we, we see that constantly. He, they give us alternatives. They define, they tell us that we must restrict our movement to assimilation. That's what they, that's what they define the civil rights movement. They, they will, all of the, their, the, uh, um, the television programs, all the pop culture efforts, all of the things that they reward, all the things that you'll put on television tell us assimilation is the only, is the definition of freedom. They do that. They play us that way. They, and they reward those people who play a role in that regard. They were, they, so they're in control. They have the power and they use that power to reinforce the notion that we are, are totally dependent on them and that we should seek our, our future in serving them. And the same reason they came and got us in the first place in Africa to serve their interests. They demand that we continue to look in that direction, serving their interests as the way in which we can be, as our definition of freedom. That's what they demand. That's what they play. That's what they do. So, yes, they play us in that regard. And most of us go along with it because we think it's in our interest to do it. But it's not in our collective interest. It's not in our survival. It's not in ultimately what we have to do in order to be a to be it should not be our definition of freedom serving them should not be our definition of freedom all right 12 can after I the top yeah quick, quick yeah quickly okay. my sister talked to an african woman and she said she was coming to she's in america to see what her african relatives have made here in this country so maybe we should name this united states of africa all right. Thank you, Sunita. We got to take a quick break coming up. And Money Mike wants to speak to you, has a question for you. Brother Arthur in Connecticut, Marvin in Baltimore, all online want to speak to you, uh, Baba Lamoma. Talk about this issue of race, race versus class. And part of the liberation struggle, as I mentioned, it's an age-old discussion. It started back in the days of, of Garvey, Du Bois, and, and also Booker T. They all had these discussions. And then Brother Malcolm, when many of you will remember Brother Malcolm's, Malcolm's speech, the, uh, the, the field Negro and the house Negro, and, and defining where we are in this culture. Where are we? This is what we're talking about this morning. Anyway, as I mentioned, we got to step aside and get to a short break. We're back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And if you're in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And thanks for rolling with us this morning, family. 19 minutes after the top there. If you have to go out on the streets today, just be careful out there. You know, it started snowing this morning, and, and you know what happens later when it gets colder. You know how those roads are getting slick. So just be careful out there if you have to go out today. Our guest is Baba Lamuma from Emoji House, located in Washington, D.C. And all these thought-provoking topics that he provides us are discussing the issue of race versus class in our liberation struggle. A bunch of folks want to speak with Baba Lamuma, so let's go to line one. Money Mike's in Baltimore, Maryland. Money Mike, you're on with Baba Lamumba. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Doctor. How you doing? Okay, right. Okay, I got a, two questions. First, I have a statement. 
I live in a mixed community of uh, African-Americans, Pakistanians, and Indians, and I noticed that they both, both uh, groups, Pakistanis and Indians, they've all formed their own education centers where they teach their culture. I got to ask a question. Why is it? Why? Why do we fail to do that? Now, I understand the Muslims have started a school or have had a school, but I don't see it for the rest of us. So I, I, I just wonder if this message is going to get out. It's a great message, but we need to be re-educated, Doctor. I think we've all learned this behavior, as you stated. And what's the remedy? Uh, and I'll take your answer off air. All right. Money Mike, thanks for your call. Baba Lumumba, is it because the, we don't know our culture, why we, why we, we don't teach it? Your thoughts. Exactly. We, the idea of, of, of being an African and African African culture and knowing what that is, you know, is, is something that black people don't have no concept of. You know, they think of African culture in, in the ways white people have depicted it to them. So they don't respect it. Not only is it... Other peoples, like the other people he's talking about, they come from their culture, so they're able to actually transfer what they know, what they grew up at, what their parents grew up at, what they learned. They speak a language, for example. We don't speak a language uh, uh, based on our culture. They eat food based on their on their culture. They have a history. They have a they have all of those things in place that they can use when they get here to reconstruct them, so that they can create this transition and create this kind of even uh, path and, and healthy environment for their children. We have none of that. Now, but we, what we do have is we have Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa is one of, the, one, of the, one of the most important steps in us reconnecting to our African history. We also have African religious groups. We have a, the Khan religion. We have the Yoruba religion. We have other people who have made stride in terms of learning what it means to be an African. We can, we can, we have enough to do what we need, but it's not, it's more difficult for us. Uh, most of us have not only do we not have knowledge about Africa, we don't have the respect and the love for Africa. Now we have no experience, we have no love, we have no knowledge uh, uh, to create the kind of thing that you that you see other people creating. We have to do that. We have, but we have. To, we, we do have a way forward, though. I think Kwanzaa has presented a way forward. We just came out of the Kwanzaa season, which was actually a very successful Kwanzaa. Uh, and one of the things that, that happened in the 60s, one of the most meaningful things that happened in the 60s is that we have this path back to an African frame of reference. We also have these African religious associations and connections that, that people are actually practicing uh, in a religious context, their African cultures and ways of life. So we have, it's just more difficult for us. Yeah, and then the other issue is, too, that, Bible moment, we have groups like the ADOS and the Fundamental Americans are telling us that we are ADOS or Fundamental Americans, anything but African. So that that's another issue. And people don't, you know, don't investigate these groups and they just, oh, yeah, I'm a fundamental American. Oh, yeah, I'm an ADOS. They don't they don't uh, they don't even look at who created these these groups. So that's 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 another problem, too, because they've moved yeah, into that yeah. vacuum where people don't know who the, who we are or some people don't, right, I should right, say. Right, right. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're very confused about a lot of more very basic things about our relationship to Africa about the, uh, who we are, et cetera. We're very confused, but we do have a way out. Like I said before, and I often said this before, when you see these people graduating from college, and they put these Kenti cost 
kind of strips around their neck. They're really saying, I'm basically an African, although I live in, the, in, in this Western society and I've gone through Western schools, I have a base that is African, they, without even realizing what they're doing. They're, we, we know we have that connection. We know that connection has to be built. It has to be uh, uh, reinforced. It has to be secured. It has to be made whole. Uh, but we're not sure how to do it uh, and live. We're not sure how to live in a society and uh, based on one culture that, that demands that we make a living by, by adopting and accepting their culture and also build our own as an alternative to that. We, don't, we, we have a difficult time. Our task is actually much more difficult than the task of many other people who come with their culture already intact, who come with a framework, who come with an alternative, come with a language, come with food, come with the things that they need. To, to They don't have to envision and recreate their culture. They can simply live what their parents or their grandparents handed to them. We, we can't do that. We can't go back. It's difficult for us to do that, but we are doing it at a different pace we are doing and we with the necessity for doing it is clear it's absolutely necessary if we don't love and respect our identity that transcends our subjugation then we're lost as a people period all we're right. lost. hold that thought right there we got some more folks want to talk to you 800-450-7876 brother Arthur's in connecticut he's online too brother Arthur, you're on with baba lamumba Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday to ya. Happy birthday, Brother Lumumba. Thank you. (laughs) I saw it on Facebook there and just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. Also, rites of passage, conferences, um, are you aware of any? Um, Can you put me in touch with any of them off the top of your head? Uh, well, you know, on the local level, there are things that are are going on here that I would know about. The things that are going on across the country where you are, I wouldn't know about. But I would tell you that when you have a Kwanzaa event, when you make contact with those people who are most involved with Kwanzaa, and they will have information locally that you could participate in or, or know what's going on. Or be uh, or get involved with people who allow you to create something. I really would not have information that would allow me to to, to give you information other, other than what's going on in the in the D.C. area. Right, that seems to be an issue. It's a it's a it's a challenge in terms of um, those resources. I try to pick up as much as I can, but it's kind of tough. Um, book clubs slash study groups. What do you think about them? Well, I think there are important important stages of development. They're, they've always been important. Book clubs, uh, providing what you read and what you discuss, and discussion groups about issues and uh, forums that people can come together. Anytime we come to try to do it in an African context, try, for example, to for libation before you have a study group. Try to produce, bring as much of, of, of your cultural context into the group, whether it's a book club or study Understand, start with the notion that I am an African person who wishes to be an African person, and I'm going to go through this ritual. I'm going to do this libation. I'm going to say this prayer. I'm going to acknowledge my ancestors. Produce a context in which you do things 
which reinforces your identity as an African. If you do that, then it'll move in the right direction. It will be useful to you. It will be beneficial to you. Do that at family gatherings. Do that at family gatherings. Acknowledge your your this basic connection that that you need with 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 the, your ancestors as the basis for you, what you do. Whether it's a, a study group, whether it's a book club, whether it's a, a discussion group, whatever it is, try to get if even if you're blown to a fraternity, you know, you know, fraternities and lawyers are basically Greek Greek formats. Try to bring some Africanness into that. Try to spend some time acknowledging uh, that which makes you who you are, your, your, your African ancestry, your African cultural culture, your African way of life. Your, you know, acknowledge that. Bring that into whatever you're doing, whatever it is, if you can. Yeah. I don't care if it's a sports event. If you play basketball. Some, right. That's some great yeah. advice right there, Baba Lamumba. Brother Arthur, I thank you for yes, your call because we've got a bunch thank of folks who want to speak. All right. Uh, 30 minutes at the top there. Marvin's in Baltimore City. He's on line four. Good morning, Marvin. You're on with Baba Lumumba. Hey, how y'all doing this morning? Baba Lumumba call. Okay, good, good. Uh, what I wanted to say is that our people, only thing that our people is going through and what's holding them back is their self. There's an opportunity out here for black people just like it is for everybody else. And I'll give you an example. Look at the founders that's coming in here, starting from zero, ground zero, and end up to be successful going straight through the roof. Black people can do the same thing. You see what I'm saying? We, as black people, should not complain at all. Should just get up, work hard, and get yours. You see what I'm saying? The opportunity is there. There's no need for us to go through anything, man. We should be already there. But guess what? Those people sit up there and work for themselves or work for whoever, white man or whoever. And take their money back and deal with their own people in their culture and buy and sell from an exchange. We take our money and go right back to them and just buy exchange, whoever, whatever. But to make a long story short, I prefer and much rather take my money when I'm done and deal with the white people and buy from them in exchange. Because, you know, let me tell you something why I said that. The white people own the system. They produce, make, and give whatever. So, quite naturally, you will want to deal with a system that's going continue to deal with you like you deal with them, you can grow that way because that's what you start with from that way. So that's what black people need to start taking their money to until they get strong enough to take it to their own self. That's a way that you can get started. You see what I'm saying? We don't need to complain. All right, because right, Marvin, you're repeating yourself. Let me let me give him a chance to respond because you put a lot on his table and we come up on a break. I know Baba Lumumba wants to respond to some of the things that you said, but I thank you for your call, Marvin. Baba Lumumba, your thoughts on what he just said. Well, you know, advancing ourselves as an individual doesn't save our race. That's not a perspective. We're a people. How do we how do we advance ourselves as people by connecting with each other? We don't advance ourselves by taking advantage of whatever advantage we personally have. That produces the same situation that we're in right now. We comp- we're we're asking for a model in which we compete with each other. We're we're asking for a model in which we cooperate with each other. And together we advance. Together we solve our problems. Not I'm going to get rich or I'm going to, you know, you know. Yes, you complain about the things that your abuse that's the subject that's labeled against you. You can't say that we're not being abused in this society or not have ever been abused in this society. 
We must deal with that abuse. We must deal with it. You can't run away from it. You can't hide from it. You can't pretend like it doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. Hey, it happens, and we have to deal with it, but we have to deal with it together. So, right. And that's something that he said. The, the tweet got the tweeters all upset because he said, take our money and, give, and, and do business with white folks instead. We, we got about two minutes. Can you address that? Because the tweeters are just jumping all well, over what well, Marvin I said. Mean, I mean, that's 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 counterproductive at, at, at best. That 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 puts us back in the same situation. That fits us against each other. That does nothing for us collectively. No, you use our money collectively. Our approach has to be a collective approach. We have to get with each other and get something done. We can't just you know, do whatever it takes for us to, to make it on our own. We can't, we're not in a process in which we spend our energy competing with each other. We're in a process where we have, we have to spend our energy cooperating with each other from the beginning. All right. And hold on right there. We've got to take the uh, last break. And, uh, and for Marvin, if we don't spend money with each other, who's going to spend money with us? You complain about we, 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 our, our problems, our, our, you know, our, our, our companies, our businesses are struggling. We're struggling. If you're not supporting them, of course they're going to struggle because the other folks ain't going to spend money with us. That's simple. Addicted to white. Somebody just tweeted. They're all of them on Marvin today. 26 minutes away from the top of the LO family. We're going to take our last break. As I mentioned, we'll be back with Bob Lumumba in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning, family. 22 minutes away from the top there with our guest, Bob Lumumba, working out of the Moja House in Washington, D.C. And happy birthday. You know, that's your birthday. Thank you, Brother Arthur, for mentioning that. Before we go back to Bob Lumumba, though, I just want to remind you, some of the folks are going to stop in by for the end of the week. Chemitologist Tony Browder will be here along with Detroit activist Sister Shoshana Shakur. Also economist uh, Dr. Julianne Malvo will be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Uh, for Marvin, uh, just let me say this because they were just inundated me with folks. Uh, just say this. Uh, the, basically, they say, Marvin, look for an excuse to do business with a black person and, and not the other way around. 800-450-7876. Brother Carlos is up next. He's on line one. He's calling from Waldorf in Maryland. Brother Carlos, good morning. Good good morning. Good morning, my dear brothers, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, 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 brother, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Baba Lamomba, I have a simple question for you, and I an existential question uh, that I'm going to pose to you, and uh, I'd like to know if you if you have an answer for me. But uh, first of all, on Brother Marvin, I just I, I appreciate the brother, but I just wish I could get this list that I have of 300 uh, over 300 black inventors invented everything from the refrigerator to the stoplight to the the blacktop. I mean, it was it's just astounding uh, the number of contributions that black people have made uh, to the uh, building of this country. But here's my question um, to you, uh, Robert uh, Lumumba. Um, I can understand, it's an existential question, I can understand to some extent why we uh, internalize self-hate with the House Negro and the Field Negro syndrome and so forth. But beyond that, my question is, why do they hate us so much and 
I'm just looking at everything that's happening to us in terms of attack on our intellectuals, suicide, uh, police brutality, uh, everything that has been a war against our people. And can you give me some help on that question? Why do they hate us so much? I thank you, my brother. Appreciate you. Thank you, Brother Carlos. Well, you know, I, I think there theirs is a matter of insecurity. I think it's fear more than it is hate. I think they they're a people who feel that they have to control everything in order to feel secure. And and we're the ones who they actually fear the most. We're the ones who represent the greatest challenge to them. We're the ones who upset their their, their insecurity. So I, I'm not one who buys the notion that they're, it's out of their notion of supremacy. I think they're, they're, they act out of their notion of, of insecurity, uh, of, of the need to control everything uh, in life, including nature. I think uh, their, their notion is not that they're a part of nature, that, that they're a part of humanity, that they're in charge of it, that they're the God. They're, that, and they're they not going to go through life any other way. They... It, so, you know, my feeling is that's the best way to see them as people who are extremely insecure, people who have to control everything in order to feel any sense of security, people who cannot feel for whatever reason relate to other people other than being in charge of them, <clears throat> having them serve them, et cetera. And that, I think, is I don't know if you call it hatred, but it's it. I would call it insecurity. And that insecurity is the is the dominant factor, which kind of produces what they now. How did that come about? I'm not sure. It could be climate. It could be, but it would. It's something that they are intrinsically connected to. This sense of insecurity, you know. Do, but let me jump in and ask you that this question: Do they know that though? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. No, I don't think they know. I don't think they realize it. But I think when you look at them, that's what you see. You see people who are so frightened by the potential of other people uh, uh, that they cannot accept the you know the the greatness of those people they cannot accept the equality of those people they cannot accept the fact that we are and uh, are are a, a dynamic person and then we have the disadvantage of being people whose physic physicality is much different than them we're black people and they're white people we we have kinky hair they have straight hair we have we, and then when we compete with them quite often you see this in athletics and you we often we out we we outperform them and that that increases this sense of insecurity and that increases this what appears to be hatred which is really fear so 
So, 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 yeah. so, so why do we, so, at least some of us, try to copy everything that they do? When they're copying from us, then we have uh, our people, you know, some of our younger people who don't know who they are, trying to copy, trying to be like them. What, how, how do you explain that? Well, they have convinced us that we, as, as their basic means of controlling us, of subjugating us, is that we are, in fact, inferior. So they have they've instilled this notion of we have to be dependent on them. We have to go for them to jobs. We have to go for them to get ahead. We have to, you know, the, you know, so, you know, they, they're in a position so that they use that position to impose a sense of inferiority amongst us. So that's what we, that's how we live. We live without realizing how great we are. We realize without appreciating our, our, our talents, our abilities, our strengths, our cultures, our identities, we live without that. And they're determined to keep us living without that. Because if we, they know that if we gain that, then we, we in fact end up being a, a competitor of theirs. We end up being people who, who may in fact uh, control, although we're not people who are, really want to control anybody. We're not going to do the same things that they did. Even if we, no matter how much power we get as a people, we're not we're not going to end up oppressing other people. We'll end up safeguarding ourselves. But we we're just not that. We're not. We don't have that sense of insecurity that that perpetuates this notion of needing to control and subjugate other people. We just don't have that. We're not. That's not our makeup, so to speak. It is All theirs right. for whatever reason. 15 away from the top of the hour. Ms. Richardson's next. She's on line five. She's calling from Bethesda in Maryland. Ms. Richardson, good morning. You're on with Baba Lumumba. Yes, good morning to you, uh, Baba Lumumba and to Carl. You know, Baba Lumumba, I can remember in the 60s when I was at UPO working, uh, the beautiful, brilliant young men would come in with their African attire on their dress. Could you tell me what has happened to that era? I mean, it seemed like it came and then it went right out the window uh, with our young men and even our older, uh, proud black men at that time. They're no longer proud of themselves as far as I'm concerned. All I see black men do is arguing with each other, fighting, uh, saying raw language to each other now. Uh, what has happened to the Marcus, uh, you know, um, uh, the Booker T. Washington type men. What has happened to uh, the um, W.E.B. Du Bois type men? Because see, all I see men, they're trying, like this defeminization or whatever you call it, they're more gay acting now. They switch down the street. They hold hands now. What has happened to the black man, Bob LaBruma? And, right. um, one, more, yeah, and, and one more quick one. Uh, what has happened to people wanting to go to Africa? Now, all you hear black people talk about, they want to go to Germany. They want to go to Paris. They want to go every place but uh, Africa. What is that self-hate syndrome about? And thank you, Carl. Thank you, Bob Lemon. I love you. Uh, thank you, sister. Thank you. Let me just say this, that, yes, there was a period in which we were more actively moving in a direction of, uh, of uh, self-acceptance, of uh, understanding and appreciating our, our cultural identity, the so-called period of the 60s and 70s. Um, you say, well, what changed that? What, what? But, it, you know, it's still around. And like I said before, 
I would suggest that as soon as you find out about a Kwanzaa event, go to those events because you'll see much of that when you go to those events. You'll see much of that pride that you used to see in us in the 60s and earlier right there. You So you'll see that it isn't lost. It's lost amongst a lot of people, but it's not lost amongst many of us. Uh, that's another advantage that Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa has allowed us to have a kind of oasis in, the, in that regard, a kind of place where people who – who, who, who have internalized their African identity can find common ground, can connect with each other, can associate with each other, can keep this alive, can keep, it's here. It's harder to see, it's not around as, as obvious as it was before, it's not you know, as pervasive and as, as important as, 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 as obvious as it once was, but it still exists. And it, in many ways exists even in a, a on a stronger level. There are many things now. There are many African, for example, religious associations. There are many Akan and Yoruba and Vudon and, and other, other organizations. African, many people who relate to, uh, to uh, uh, Egypt and uh, uh, Muslim groups and groups that are, that are trying to maintain. And I think the vehicle, for the most part, has become religious in nature. But it is, uh, it's sustaining us. It's making things. It's allowing us to keep some of that there. So you, you need to get out. I would suggest, again, go to Kwanzaa events when you find out. Find out who else is doing it, and you'll see that. You'll see how the, the resurgence, the, the, the tenacity, the, 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 the elements of our community who do understand the importance of, of an identity that that is uh, – greater than you know that which is bestowed on us through the internet because <clears throat> one of the problems has been the internet one of the problems of why we haven't been sustain ourselves is that we we our our capacity our to in influence each other has been decreased by the time that we spend in front of our cell phones and, and then the internet so, right. Uh, let me jump in here because we're racing the clock. And one of the things we didn't talk about in this race versus versus uh, class structure is the class usually goes on a color line as well. Those who so-called think they've made it, bougie, they're usually of the lighter hue. Can you talk about that? Well, I mean, that's part of the advantages of, of, of you know, that we pit ourselves against each other, our, our own distinction, uh, you know, uh, the texture of our hair, you know, so that the texture of our hair, the, the the color of our skin, the closer we are to white people, the more advantage, the more comfortable they feel with us, and the more ambivalent we are about our own people. So that you know, it it stands to reason that that's that's the case. Uh, we 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 have to guard against that. We have to act, you know, marrying each other. You know, we need to marry each other. You know, we need to build families, build communities. Uh, you know, get over this notion. It's it's part of the syndrome in which the closer you are to being white, the more the 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 more in accepted by society and by other black people that you are, which is part of the problem. Part of a real man. To the degree in which we reverse that, degree in which we we understand that you know, uh, it's not a matter of being looking like them. It's a matter of who who we are. It's about identifying with each, with each other, with the traits that represent us, both into physical traits as well, as well as cultural traits, as well as emotional, 
space, as well as connections, resources, support, etc. We have to build communities. We have to build families. We have to build cultures based on who we are. Our complexion, our hair, color of our hair, textures. Right. Uh, let me just jump in and tell you, because I know, I know one brother, melanin challenged to the max. I mean, he's severely melanin challenged. And he overcompensates for, for being, you know, still with a, with a red, green, and black flag wearing, you know, I guess he wants to make people know, because he still looks, he speaks like a brother, but when, when they see him, they're like, man, this dude's a white boy, you know. And they, I said, no, he's a brother. Why can't you tell me it's so and so is a white boy? You know, it's a brother. But he, I think, overcompensates, you know, really serious, you know, as far as being black is concerned. Is that an issue too? Because there was some acceptance well, when people saw him, they, yeah. they were thinking, "Well, he ain't he ain't a brother," but you know, he's severely melanin challenged. I'm sure we all know people like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that balancing this out and figuring out how that is, you know, people who one parent may be white. This question is who do you identify with. The question is who 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 do you connect with? Where's your heart? You know, we're an inclusive people. We don't exclude people. Uh, uh, and if you have any claim at all of being a black person, we will include you. But you have to, uh, you know, we understand that there's there's going to be this transition people where they where that where a transition period where those those gray areas create problems for us. And you know, but you know, we'll overcome them. You know, that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is to reconcile those of us who who. Uh, you know, because much of our white blood was 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 in our community because of rape. You know, our, our women got raped a lot. Now, a lot of it is people are marrying each other and creating a kind of ambivalence about their blackness and about their. So, you know, all those things are part of the problem. You know, there are no simple answers to them, but they're all part of the problem. Uh, but you know, when we practice Kwanzaa, when we when we uh, involve ourselves in 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 understanding Africa, when we act like Africans, when we do what we, what we do as a people, uh, then we can overcome these problems. We can gain gain ourselves back, gain this equilibrium that we need to be a people and unite and and create the kind of world that we want to live in. And All you know, right. I was. Baba Luan, we're just out of time, okay. so. But I want to thank you. Anything you want to add, real quick, before we let you go? Uh, no, I've said a lot, and, you know, we'll hold the rest of it till next time, okay? Okay, all right. All right. Thank you, Baba Lumumba. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you, family. you got to stay warm today. It's a cold day out there in a, most of the country, so stay warm. And if you don't have to go to work, stay home and just, uh, you know, just meditate and discuss with what, this, what you heard with Baba Lumumba discuss this morning. As I mentioned, we're done for the day. Stay strong. Stay, po- stay positive. Please, please stay healthy and stay warm. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 14 1450 WOL or information is power.